Welcome, welcome, welcome to Draft on Tap. My name is Aldo Gandia. The good-looking guy beside me is Danny Shimon. Danny, how are you, my friend? I am doing great, although I have, there's two All-Star games going on. I have access to tape for both those All-Star games, so I am in my neck, up to my neck in, in tape here, just reviewing all some of these these young you know young guys that are going to be coming up here in, in this upcoming draft and the uh, guys that most likely the bears are going to be you know picking one a couple of these guys here so do you, do you miss not being in uh in mobile do you wish you were I in do. Mobile? I, I do uh i mean obviously you know you and i we have the you know the little little bond we have there in, in mobile you know you go for your massages i i, I try and you know try and keep Le- legal and, massages mm, <laughs> so say. and then uh but you know like just you know just talking to some of the you know some of the friends i have in out there in the scouting community and the aging community and, and some of the and some of the other people that we made you know networking that we you know, friends we made through the, through the years with podcasts and all that stuff so it's a fun it's a fun atmosphere it's a great job. Jim Nagy and, and his and his people do a great job in terms of getting everyone in one central location and great way to network and meet people and make friends and just, you know, shoot this, shoot the shit and see what's going on and, and just pick up, you know, little tidbits here and there and all that stuff. So I do miss it. But, uh, you know, like you said, you know, some, unfortunately we weren't able to make it this year, but fingers crossed uh, we'll be out there next year and you'll be getting well, last, those massages again. Last year you were in Vegas for the Shrine Bowl game and they, they actually moved it to Texas because of all of your gambling losses, I understand. Well, that's not. I'm, 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 I'm cheap when it comes to gambling, man. I don't, I don't, I don't. You know, it takes two, I, it's, penny you, slot. You, 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 you throw, you know, money out here like, like you know, manhole covers. About George Hallis. Yes. No, so, so, you know, we have that much money to throw around here, so I, I, I try and keep it all in my pocket. But uh, no, I mean, uh, obviously, because you know, all joking aside, the, the reason they moved is because you know the Super Bowls there and. And all that stuff, and and obviously, you know, they even moved up the, the Pro Bowl game over to to Orlando this year because of Super Bowls in, in Vegas this year. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's 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 a fun time. It's it's this is where I kind of grind the tape and just you know lock myself in a room for for hours and hours, and no one knows where I'm at. <laughs> well, this show is dedicated to getting you ready for the All Star Games. All of our watchers and followers, uh, starting with tomorrow's East West Shrine Game, and then Saturday's Senior Bowl, and then uh, on the next show, we'll do a review of both All Star Games with a special focus on the Senior Bowl. Today, we have a very special guest. He is going to help us talk about some of the Shrine Bowl players we should keep an eye on. His name is uh, Noah Chang. Noah, how are you, my friend? What's going on, guys? Thank you so much for having me. Really happy to be here, and I'm always down to talk ball, so we can get into it whenever you guys want to. Excellent. Well, let me start by asking you what your role is with the Shrine Bowl game. What are your responsibilities? What is your title? So I'm the conference scout for the Big 12 and Mountain West. What that entails is basically a couple weeks after this, just doing background for next year's class getting all the information from their high school past, uh, stats, some analytics and testing numbers that we can find, uh, kind of highlighting the guys that we expect to be targeting next year and just doing the overall conference uh, in descending order from probably sixth year down to you know, retro sophomores if we can get to it. So you, uh, do you do a lot of traveling on their behalf or, or are you just scouring the tape? So we're all remote scouring the tape, but we all do get to live scout um, within the conference. This year, I was lucky enough to go to four games, all in Texas, ironically. Uh, everything's bigger, and obviously, we're repping it this week and having a great time. 
Excellent. Excellent. Glad you're having a good time. Uh, let's start talking about some of the players. I'll, I'll let you and Danny talk about uh, the first player th that you've targeted for us to learn about is uh, Dadrian Taylor Demerson. Tell us about him. Really enjoyed watching him this year. He's got a basketball and track background. Was a running back in high school, Oklahoma 5A player of the year, converted to safety at Tech. A really experienced player, 41 career starts. You can really see it this year. I thought he's playing a lot faster, a lot more confident. He's switched up. Um, you can see him lining up anywhere from on the line to single high. I really liked his instincts following the passer's eyes this year. He's very good. He moves smoothly. Uh, I, what I really like is he's really good at disrupting passing windows and also like plays a lot bigger than his size. You can see his competitive spirit as a tackler as well as just disrupting guys down the stem. And um, I think this week he did a really good job and showed that he can be um, used as a nickel. He has that type of versatility. And uh, yeah, he's just a versatile player. <laughs> a lot to like with him. Great kid. Uh, got to talk to him this week and I think he shined like a really big spotlight on him and uh, a lot of teams should be interested in what he could do uh, in multiple teams really. Go ahead Danny. Yeah with, with this guy specifically is you know he comes in at that tweener size uh, he was measured at, at the east west uh, game at 5'10 189 pounds so he's right there so but I can see him playing nickel. I can play. I mean, he's listed as a safety, but I think he's like he's a guy that could be one of those cover safeties. Guys that can come in and cover, you know, slot receivers, even 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 those flex tight ends. Is that how you see him, or foresee him, uh, you know, moving on at the next level there? Most definitely. I also have to say I really like how he inserted from depth in the run game. Uh, pretty solid tackler in space, and a very effective blitzer off the edge. So. You're getting a guy with multiple tools and a lot of experience, and I think a lot of teams will be excited to have it. If you had to say in, in which in which areas of his game has have shined this week, in your in your opinion, where where has he really kind of you know the spotlight has been on him, and, and the scouts have been you know kind of noticing him? What, what has he really done this week that kind of put that spotlight and that, that shine on his game? To me, I think it's stickiness and route recognition, uh, especially in the one on ones, and also you could see. Even in recovery, if he's beat, he's going to play through the whistle. I think he had a really nice uh, pass breakup on, like, it seemed to be like a fade down the sideline. He was beat off the line, recovered, didn't have to look back for the ball. Perfect uh, punch of the ball out. I mean, that's just the kind of guy that he'll be. Obviously, with his size, there might be concerns, but I think his instincts and really his quickness and competitiveness to play bigger and really kind of get in – Receivers' heads, tight ends' heads, they'll know where he's at. They're, they'll know he's always around. So I think that's what he brings, and it's really the consistency. I think you could see that in all three practices. And then the other pl uh, player, although I think we're moving on to, or do you have a question for him? No, uh, let's move on to Mark Perry. I pressed the wrong button, which was why the awkward pause there. So Mark Perry, the six-footer, 215-pound defensive back from TCU. No, what, what do you got on him? Definitely an elite A athlete, ran track in high school and at Colorado, played DB running back and receiver in high school. He clocked a 10 500 meter, so he's definitely rangy and explosive. I think he made a big stride from last year to this year in terms of ball production and actually being able to anticipate um, when the throw's coming to be able to disrupt at the catch point. He's a smooth mover. He's a stout tackler. 
Uh, you can really just see it's unbelievable how he moves with his size. Kind of a prototype, strong safety type. Um, I do think he needs to develop a little bit of his discipline. But I think from last year to this year, uh, you could tell that he's on the rise despite being an older prospect. And he seems to be a guy who is really interested in developing his skill set and his mentality. Um, really quiet, humble guy. It was awesome to meet him this week and just kind of talk to him about his career and everything he's done up to this point um, coming from Colorado. And uh, I think despite um, maybe some lack of interceptions, he may be a guy that might play the ball better at the next level. That's curious because because uh, I had a different take on him and, and J2K, one of our great listeners in the chat room, chimed in. He, he thinks he's a free safety. I see more of a, more of a, a box safety. I know that term's not used anymore in football because in cities are our interchangeable. But I think I, I see him more comfortable around the line of scrimmage. And and you know his tackle numbers are up. His tackle for loss numbers are up uh, last couple of years. Curious, do you see him more of as, as a guy that you, I, I think you just mentioned that he's going to get better? In terms of ball production at the next level, but do you see him more as, as a free safety, or, or do you do you see like you know, can I agree with me where you see him like more you know be, being in his in his zone and in, in his comfort zone, if you will, around the line of scrimmage? Yeah, I agree with you. I see him more of as as an overhang box safety. Um, I think he's a plus tackler. I think this year he excelled at covering tight ends. Uh, definitely used his frame. He seems to be better in the short area than um, in space, and I think. If you make, he's the type of guy that if you let him make plays, let him do what he's good at. I think potentially he could have that um, versatility to play both ways. But right now, at this point, I think you kind of you want to get his confidence up, and uh, that's the best fit. Very good. Let's move on to uh, Walter Rouse, the big six foot six, three hundred eighteen pound offensive lineman. From the University of Oklahoma, he uh, I think he played at Stanford and then transferred over to University of Oklahoma. Noah, what do you what do you think about him? Yes, sir, he did. The Stanford background definitely checks out. I think he's probably the best interview we've had um, in terms of media, in terms of in front of the scouts this week. Uh, you can nickname him the mayor, I think, of the Shrine Bowl. Like that's just the type of personality he is. As far as on the field, 52 career starts. That's always big time for offensive linemen. He has a basketball and track background, also played both sides of the ball in high school. You can definitely see it. He's got pretty concise um, functional footwork. He's a very good pass blocker. I really like his patience and spatial awareness before engaging. I think his hand placement and strike timing are really precise. Um, once he latches on, he's got a strong grip and shows the ability to anchor late through um, like a secondary bull rush, good stoutness. I think as a run blocker, he's going to be more of a latch and occupy type of guy. He flashed some bursts, getting the second level, getting out in space. But he's definitely going to be a guy who can create lanes um, on the inside. And, uh, yeah, for, for me, Rouse is a guy that that's that's flashed a couple times and, and watching the practice film. And, and you know, you go back and take a look at his history. All dimension, he's transferred from Stanford. This guy was, was a starter basically from, from day one at Stanford. You know, he started, you know, he's a redshirt senior. He started, you know, first four years at Stanford. He started this last year in Oklahoma. And I think, you know, his measurables, I, I didn't get the uh, the arm length and all that stuff. I'm a big arm length guy in terms of my tackles. Uh, no, you should know that right now. But, uh, but I, but you know, in terms of other, you know, size measurables, I think he came in at 6'5", you know, three three point nine pounds or something like that. 
like that. I believe his measurables came in his weight. So, and he's got the experience over 2,500 snaps at left tackle. So this is like a guy that's going to come in and, and possibly even compete right away as a rookie. Uh, do you see him sticking at left tackle? I'm assuming, or do you see him kicking inside to left guard, or, or where do you where do you uh, see his future at the next level? I think he's a guy that you start him off at tackle. He's obviously smart enough to bump inside, but I'd like to see him fail there first, if that makes any sense. Um, he's only played on the left side in his career, so I'd like to see him there first, um, just to make him comfortable. That's probably where he'll be best at. But with Walter, he's very flexible. He He's quick on the fly, quick thinker, obviously very intelligent, so I don't doubt that he could bump inside and be successful. Uh, he's a technician. He's crafty very competitive kid. Also, I think he'd be great in any locker. You're on, you're on mute, Aldo. You're already, you're off to a great start, but come on, let's go, buddy. That's a dollar in the jar. <laughs> okay. Patrick Willis is our next victim here. Uh, six foot four, 338 pounds out of TCU. What do you got on him though? Most definitely. Willis Patrick is a mauler. Um, he has that basketball background. Definitely a really big body, really wide phone booth type of guy. Um, also a former HBU player, 41 career starts for him. Uh, I thought he made the jump from that level to the power five pretty seamlessly. It, I thought he stood out a lot in the first game against Colorado. Very heavy-handed striker, moves under control. I think his range might be a little limited, but his hand placement, his patience, he has amazing pop in all his strikes. His footwork could get a little loose at times, but I think he he gauges where he's at in space really well. Um, very stout pass, bro pass blocker, sorry about that. Uh, has the ability to work his upper half and lower half independently. Um, his ability to torque defenders and create lanes in the run game, as well as just finish consistently. Very nasty player, I think. A lot of teams would like a guy like this. He kind of changes the mentality in that room. Yeah, for me, first of all, it's hard for me not, not to call him Patrick Willis. Obviously, the, the, the former great right. linebacker from the 49ers. That was a, my first part of it was looking at his name. But uh, yeah, like you know, I agree with you. I, I think I think his his uh, his foot speed is is questionable. If you're going to put him on a, a tackle, either right or, or left tackle, he's definitely going to play left tackle. I think maybe he has a chance of right tackle, but I think more so his his. Best position at, at the next level is going to be inside a guard. Um, I'm not sure and it's a left where, guard or right that's guard. Where he played this year, and I think that's exactly where he's got to be. That's where he was yeah. this week as well. Yeah. So, but but yeah, he has a you know wide body, big body guy that can they can move guys off the line of scrimmage. So I think that's that's where if you're going to project the next level is, is, is probably inside a guard and and a, and a you know guy like if you're talking for the Bears, I don't know if he fits ideally for the Bears because of that foot speed. You know, they they run the predominantly wide you know wide zone uh, system here, so. Um, you know, have new office coordinator. We are assuming he comes from the you know McVeigh tree. We're assuming he's going to continue that wide zone stuff. So I think he won't be an ideal fit. But again, if you're a power gap key, you know, team that that likes to have big guys that move guys off line of scrimmage, Willis Patrick. I have to think about that one. Willis Patrick is, is the guy for you. For you, definitely a guy who can displace defenders and really uh, just impose his will when he wants to. And I think a lot of teams would like that. Like you said, gap schemes perfect. Um, yeah, just a great guy to meet. You guys have a chance to talk to him. Cool. We'll uh, reach out to him after uh, the Shrine Bowl game, see if he wants to join us on the show. We had on uh, Jalen uh, Corker uh, on uh, our last show, and it was great talking with him. 
Uh, our next victim here is KT Levinston, six foot five, three hundred and thirty pound offensive lineman from Kansas State. And before you, I turn it over to you, Noah. All of these players, for those of you who have just joined us into the show, all of these players are playing tomorrow night. The game is the East West Shrine Bowl game, and you can watch it on the NFL Network. Noah, take it away. Yeah, please tune into that game. These guys are all excited. They're jo they're jonesing to go live for sure. And uh, hopefully we can put up a few touchdowns on the board this time. Nice. But as far as KT, um, I really like his versatility. He's played left tackle for the last two years at K-State, but also played both guard spots, basketball and track in high school. It's always important. You can see it in his footwork, how quick he is. I think this year, watching him at tackle, he kind of um, he got a better feel on the outside. Wasn't oversetting as much. He's a lot better at redirecting. You can really see his strike timing and his spatial awareness improved. Another violent run blocker uh, definitely gets to the second level and the perimeter with urgency and is always looking to finish. Excellent. Uh, Danny? Yeah, KT, I, I haven't really broken his tape down yet, so I have not much to add there other than Noah did. But I, I do have another question for Noah, but another player, I'm not sure if, if you know if you have any, and I know we talked briefly about some of the guys that I was going to bring up. But this guy I forgot to mention, but I, I just, if you don't know, if you haven't done anything on him, that's great. But uh, or that's okay, I should say. Uh, Mason McCormick from South Dakota State. Have you have you had a chance to to break him down because he pops, man, and he pops for his nastiness on on tape. And and and, and he's a guy that you always saw, you know, when when the the whistles you know going off, he's got a little elbow here, a little shove here. You know, he's he's a he's an agitator. And I like those kind of guys that play nasty with the mean streak. So, do you have anything on on Mason McCormick for us from South Dakota State? Yeah, most definitely. In the one on one reps that I saw him in, he really showed that anchor. That competitive drive because really I, I know um, linemen hate it when defenders bull rush in those types of drills, but he seemed to accept the challenge. I mean, he was able to stick in front and anchor down through almost every single rep. Um, quick puller, like you said, nasty striker, definitely imposes his will on guys and lets them know. You could see that. I mean, I was all the way up in the box. I can see it from there, man. And yeah, he really flashed, definitely turned some heads this week. No, the, the the big golf season story here in Chicago is what the Bears are going to do at quarterback. You know, the, the entire city is split on this. 50% or so want Justin Fields to remain at quarterback and continue to develop him. 50% want the Bears uh, to uh, draft Caleb Williams or someone at that top spot, maybe Jaden Daniels. Uh, but there, there are some fans who are saying maybe – keep Justin and draft a developmental quarterback to compete with Tyson Bagent, who uh, showed some promise in his uh, four games with the Chicago Bears this past year. Of the quarterbacks that you've seen at the Shrine Bowl game, have any jumped out at you? Most definitely. I think the guy on the top of my head would be Devin Leary. Um, just thinking back to, I believe it was two years ago now at NC State, what he was able to do there. Um, I know his transition to the SEC wasn't as smooth as people might have thought, but from what I can see, he's got a quick release. Um, he's quick on the fly, throws a nice catchable ball. He's got good touch um, and very competitive. Isn't Leary a guy who played a different position for a while and then went to quarterback? Uh, I have him confused with somebody else. Well, he, he was at that North Carolina State. Me. Okay. All right. Yeah, I'll tell you. <laughs> Gotcha. Any of the other, uh, well, uh, 
jumping off quarterback, one guy that I'm hoping, uh, one position that I'm hoping will be filled with a speedy running back. Have you seen anyone at the Shrine Bowl game who kind of fits that bill, a gadget-type player, somebody who can run under four or five and give that backfield some speed? I think one under-the-radar guy, and I'm not really sure if he's going to get drafted this year, would be Sheridan from Monmouth. Mm-hmm. He showed a lot of twitch. He's very undersized, but obviously fits that role. That's what he would do at the next level. I thought he popped pretty well when he burst through the hole. Um, looks shifty. I think his develop his vision needs to develop a little bit. Um, you could see that kind of at the game, and obviously getting into the league when he does, you'll kind of need to adjust to the speed. But that would be the guy that caught my eye in that type of role. Also, Watson from Memphis as well. Okay, Danny, you got anything else for uh, Noah? Well, no, just just real quick on the on the quarterback thing. That the 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 one quarterback that I like of this group uh, is unfortunately not playing, and that that's uh, you know uh, Jordan Travis from from Florida State. He had the broken ankle, so he's out there in, in a walking boot. That's a guy I wanted to see go out there and, and put on a show, but he's not available unfortunately. But a couple of guys that caught my eye, know real quick, and and we're, I'll talk about these guys in more in depth after, after later on in the show, but. Taj Washington, uh, you know, from USC. Uh, he's a guy, you know, diminutive slot receiver, 5'9", 177. But, but this guy, I mean, he's got that quick twitch, stop-and-go ability, quick feet. And what I like about him is, again, small in size, but, man, this guy will go up and attack the ball in the air. And I, and I love the fact that he brings that ability. Let the Pac-12 last year with 18 yards per reception average. So uh, I, I, he, he jumped off the tape for me. Curious, you know, what do you think about Taj Washington from USC? I think everything he said we saw this week, I think he had the two most impressive contested catches of the week. For me, it was just seeing the smoothness and suddenness of his breaks, how he's able to get in and out with bursts. I think he has good tempo control. He's a very precise route runner. And uh, I think he really, really impressed this week. I was very happy we had him. And I think he also showed what he could do on time, on schedule. I know a lot of his production was just the chemistry with Caleb Williams extended extending plays and whatnot, but I think Taj had a great week. Very good. Uh, Noah, before we get you out of here, I got a question because a lot of people who watch this show are interested in scouting. Would you, what do you have as advice for somebody uh, who is either you know in college or maybe someone who's thinking of a career change uh, in their 20s, 30s, whatever age? Do you have any advice for them uh, into, to get into the scouting business? me, as, it, as it's been explained, I think being a personnel assistant in college football is probably the most efficient route to get a lot of experience. Just working in the back, behind the curtain, I think, you have to do a lot of uh, different odd jobs, and it really tests people. And I think that's kind of what, scout, what scouting interns have to do at the next level. Um, my own path was pretty different. I would say I didn't do that college. I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. I ended up working at SIS, the football analytics company, and going to their scouting school after hours, learning there. Um, was fortunate enough to see this job listing and went through another round of training that I think is a lot more beneficial this time around with the Shrine Bowl. But I have multiple coworkers who have entered the business from a lot different routes. I think you just have to find your lane and try to stand out. And obviously, I'm not the best guy to ask advice because I'm not currently an NFL scout, but hope to be. And 
I would just say as long as you love the game and you're willing to do the work and you're willing to do everything else that comes with it beyond evaluations, uh, you have as good a shot as anyone. Great advice, Noah. I really appreciate it and uh, wish you the best of luck in your career. And uh, you don't know this yet, but you're going to be a future guest on another Barroom Network show <laughs> because I'm going to bug you until you say yes. <laughs> so thanks very much for coming on. Appreciate you guys for having me. And sure, that sounds good. Just let me know. <laughs> All right. See, that's how I do it, Danny. I, I, I don't give them a choice. I just say <laughs> Take care, Noah. <laughs> That's Noah Chang. What a good guy. Knows his stuff and presents it very, very well. Um, Danny, you've also worked on your list, and you've given us a preview already with Taj Washington. Why don't we just start with him, and then we'll go back to the order that I have on the show rundown. So Taj Washington, this, as you said, diminutive Wide receiver from USC, 5'10", 175 pounds. His tape is really bouncing out for you, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, this this is a guy that started off his career at Memphis, transferred to USC. He was a starter this last three years at, at USC. Uh, he's got a track and soccer background in, in high school. Um, you know, like, and like I mentioned earlier, he led the Pac-12, averaging 18 yards per reception this past year with, with eight touchdowns, over 1,000 yards receiving. Uh, again, slot receiver, quick feet, stop and start, quick twitch, you know, athletic ability. Uh, this is the guy that, that can create in the open field. You know, get the ball in his hands on, on bubble screens, slip screens, whatever or not, and just let him do his thing. And obviously in the slot, uh, we'll run uh, and get open in zone. That's like, I, I like the fact that he was it. And because I watch a lot of Cale Williams tape, Scott and Cale Williams, and obviously him and, and Brendan Rice really stuck out to me. So, I, you know, Taj Rogerson was, was a guy that in zone coverage, you're able to sit down there and get open. Um, you know, hands catcher. We talked about you know his ability here at, at the East West Shrine and be able to go up and make a play on the ball. Again, he's five. He came in at five nine one seventy seven, but he doesn't back down. He's he's fearless going over the middle, fearless going up top on on guys. And again, just a natural hands catcher can extend away from his frame, even though it's it's a you know shorter shorter catch rate, a smaller catch rate, I should say. But you know he's a guy that can make play on and play on the football. Um, Again, gives you yak after the catch. You know, there's a lot of times, you know, he's a guy that, that you know, with Caleb running around, he comes and makes himself available. And next thing you know, he, he makes a move and he's he's gone for, you know, 15, 20 yards on the field. So gives you that that quickness, acceleration after the catch. And got some, you know, kickoff return experience as well. So it gives you something on special teams until he works his way up maybe to, you know, the regular rotation at receiver. And, and also, you know, for a guy 5'9", 177, he's an effort blocker. This guy will actually go in there and put his nose in there and try and block downfield for his, for his running back or for his other, other receivers. So, you know, everything I've, I've seen on tape from USC, everything I saw at the East-West Shrine practices, this is a guy that, that legitimately has a, has a chance to, to, you know, to make a roster next year. And whether, whether it's on special teams or, or you know, coming in as, as a slot receiver, as a fifth receiver or whatnot, he's, yeah, I think he's a guy that's going to come in and, 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 you know, make an impression early on and, and stick on a roster. Ooh, somebody to keep an eye on. Uh, hopefully he gets some passes thrown his way tomorrow. And, and you said he's, he, he's going to work special teams perhaps tomorrow? Well, he's got kickoff return uh, um, experience at USC. So, you know, he's a guy that could give you some of that if you want to bring him in. I'm not sure what the rotation is tomorrow for the, for the game. But, yeah, keep an eye on, on him tomorrow. He might be able to make a play there on special teams as well. Okay, let's get back to the trenches. Another guy that's caught your eye is Christian Mah Mahogany. Six yeah. three, three hundred and thirty-three pounds out of Boston College. 
Yeah, another, another guy. Obviously, the BC these BC offensive linemen they'll they'll come up to the NFL level well prepared and, and ready to you know they're aggressive and they're tough guys and Mahogany falls right in line. You know his size is, his dimensions don't fall in line with with what you know he played right guard for for Boston College, a three year starter. Uh, Richard had a couple of seasons. Richard as a freshman and in, and in 2022 uh, tore his ACL pre, you know, prior to the season, so he retired that year as well. So he's like a I think he's a retired senior, fifth or sixth year senior. Uh, but again, he's a guy that when you put on his tape, you know, at Boston College, you see a guy that that use of hands gains leverage. You know, can go and seal and and, and pin defensive line at the line of scrimmage. You know, here at the at the Shrine practices. You know, it seems a little bit to be a little bit lighter. So I mean, maybe he's he's done some some work out there. Put, you know, shed some weight after the after the the season. But you know, his feet look you know look agile, well, lateral quickness, be able to maintain his blocks, moving laterally. I think this is the guy that again brings that some of that nasty some some of that grit you want in your offensive lineman. Uh, can chip and release to the next level defenders, and, and I think that his movement skills really have what impressed me at the East West Shrine practices, his ability to, to get up and, like I said, get to that second level defender and maintain and sustain. So again, Christian Mahogany is, is a Boston college, you know, came in at six, two, three, eighteen. So, you know, some have talked about maybe him kicking inside the center. We'll see what happens there, but he's been a right guard predominantly at Boston college. And I think if you bring him in as a, as a, you know, uh, you know, uh, back up. A guy gives you nice, good depth behind. You know, behind your starters there. I think he's he's got potentially has a chance uh, to stick on a roster next season as well. What is it about these Boston College players? I mean, it's, some schools just really specialize in finding these young athletes, right? Right. It's just the just the mentality. It's it's the way they coached up. The you know, it's the the way that just you know, some schools have a tradition in terms of hey, this is you know, you're following this type of tradition. You got to kind of play by this rule and all that stuff. And and they just these guys come out tough and ready to go and. And you know, again, just just you know, gritty, you know, hard nose, hard nose uh, blockers. And of course, if you're an offensive lineman and, and, and you're nasty, you're gritty, and you're and you're hard nose, that catches my eye right away. And that right away, I, I'm I'm more and more intrigued by your abilities. Yeah, there seem to be a few of them available in this draft. We'll be tracking them. Uh, let's go. Uh, let's stay with the trenches, but on the other side of the line of scrimmage, Fabian Levitt, six four, three hundred eighteen pound defensive lineman from Florida State. Yeah, he's a guy that, that actually I was scouting last draft, and I thought maybe he had a chance to come out last year, but he stayed stayed in school. Um, another guy that is a Richards uh, senior, transferred from Mississippi State after twenty twenty uh, after the twenty nineteen season, I should say. Uh, you know, a four year starter at at uh, at Florida State. Uh, again, his issue for me at least when watching his tape, the, the production wasn't there, right? You know, the, you know he's only had six sacks throughout his career. Uh, you know, tackle for losses are only like fourteen and a half, so the production hasn't always been there. But you go on and you watch him here at, at in the East West Shrine game, you see his ability to be a disruptor in the backfield, be able to kind of you know get skinny and, and pierce in between blockers and get into the backfield and create havoc. And I saw a lot of that. I saw some spring in his step here in, in these East West Shrine games. And I think this is a guy, again, 6'4", came in at 6'3", actually 307, uh, you know, good length. I guess this is a guy that, I, again, depth guys, guys you can bring in. You know, is, is he going to be a starter day one? Probably not, but he's a guy who's got some skill you can work with. He's got the size. He's got the athletic ability. And you got to coach him up. you got to coach him up, and you can develop him into a, you know, a very – a good depth, you know, backup player or potentially even a starter down the line. But again, he's a guy that again has the athletic ability, has the traits. It's just the production hasn't been there on tape. Uh, whatever the reason was at FSU, it just didn't work out for him in terms of, you know, being consistent producer on the football field. But again, we can put on the tape here at, at the East West Shrine practices 
and this guy's actually dominating the line of scrimmage. The one-on-ones, he's 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 going up against Mahogany and he's he's beating him there. You know, he shows an ability again to, to pierce and get scheming in between those blockers and be a disruptor into the backfield. And that's that caught my eye. And that's someone again. I had my eye on from last last draft, and now he's into this draft here. But again, he's this guy maybe day three he falls there in that range, fifth, sixth round range. You can pluck him, again, develop him into a really quality backup, or you know, possibly even a starter down the road. Yeah, it's uh, J2K says what happened to Levin. I thought he was going to grow yeah. more this year. It's it's uh, interesting, and I'm sure that's something that the evaluators are going to be digging into in their interviews with Lovett and by asking you know the people around them what what. Uh, why the regression uh, this season, but it's good to see that he's performing at a good level in these all-star in this all-star game. Um, next on your list is uh, Miles Murphy. Yeah, this is a guy. I mean, I, I put this kid uh, while watching, I was watching the tape, and then I'm like, who's this kid number eight? Just continue to walk guys into the backfield, and, and you know, it's Miles Murphy came in at six four three twelve. Again, four-star high school recruiter out of North Carolina, three-year starter in North Carolina. You know, in 2023, it was an All-ACC honorable mention. Uh, this is again another guy doesn't doesn't produce big numbers in terms of sacks. Only has seven sacks for his career, but this is a power-based player. This is a guy that that is hard to move off a spot. He can take on double teams and maintain his ground. Uh, he's what I call a pocket collapser. This guy he's gonna grab the guard or center in front of him and just literally just walk him back into the quarterback. And that's what he's been doing here at the East, East West shrine practices. It just, you know, disrupting that, that flow of the offense by just basically power rushing a guy back into him. So I'll get, you know, those are guys, again, with those measurables, a guy that can you can develop and, and make into a make into a you know a two down player. You know, I, I thought of like an Andrew Billings. You know, he's on the last year of his contract, or actually he just signed for two years. But a guy that can come in and back him up and be someone that can probably replace him down the line. So you know, Miles Murphy is, is a guy with the size and the athletic ability and and the and the measurables to be able to make a roster is just now developing the rest of them. And I think you, you could have plenty of a player that could be a you know a, a really good to pretty, pretty dominant run stuffer. Wasn't there a pass rusher out of Clemson last year named Miles Murphy? Uh, yes, yes, there was. I, I, I forgot his name was Miles Murphy. I made a number ninety-eight from Clemson. I just, I think it's Miles Murphy. Yeah, that was his name. I'm pretty sure it is. That one in uh, Patrick Willis. I'm, I'm on, on twenty twenty-four draft. I can't go back to twenty twenty-three. Man, <laughs> doesn't doesn't have doesn't retain that much knowledge, man. Doesn't have the uh, RAM or capacity, whatever yeah. the computer tournament is. <laughs> All right, then let's talk about uh, Caden Wallace, 6'5", 328 pounds out of Penn State. Yeah, actually, he measured in at 6'4", 322 down, down at the, uh, in Frisco, Texas at the East-West Shrine game. And again, another athletic athletic guy, a redshirt senior, four-star high school prospect coming out of New Jersey, competed in, in a shot put and a discus for track and field, actually won the state championship back in 2015 in, in shot put. Uh, a four-year starter, right tackle. Now, he's probably kind of, with those dimensions, he's probably going to be kicked inside. But again, an experienced four-year starter at a power five conference in the Big Ten, um, you know, opposite of, of, of his teammate Olu, who's, who's going to be going in, in, in the first round. I think this guy kind of went unnoticed. And then you just kind of put on his tape and see what he's doing at the East-West Shrine game. He's got the athletic ability. He's got the feet to move laterally. And I'm caught with this type of offense, what the Bears are going to run, you can want athletic offensive linemen. I think his versatility being able to play, you know, playing a right tackle and then possibly kicking inside a guard. I think, again, this is a guy that in day three you can probably bring in it and give you nice depth there. You know, I've got the athletic ability. He's got the traits. I think he's a guy that can develop here as, as a nice quality backup as well. Excellent. Uh, by the way, uh, J2K has a question regarding his teammate who is also at the Shrine Bowl. Have you looked at all at Penn State Center, Hunter Norzad? 
I have not looked at the all the the, the entire center group J2K. I've I've done the the top two guys right now, uh, but I haven't gotten deep in, in depth on the on a center group. That is next on my list in terms of the offensive offensive line positions. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how uh, what you got to say about him. All right, let's move on now to number four on your list, and it is oh we got Taj already, so this is number five, Cornelius Wallace. Yeah, well Cornelius Johnson actually. So this is the the Michigan oh. receiver. I messed up. No, it's all right. Uh, he's, he's a six. He's, this guy's a six-two, two hundred thirteen pounds. A, a three-year starter. You know, all Big Ten selection in twenty twenty-three. You know, four-time academic all Big Big Ten. Um, you know, a student athlete as well. And you know, you, know, you, you put on the tape and, he, and and his Michigan tape, and you don't really catch him popping as much. You know, twenty twenty-two last year, he had, he had six touchdowns, average. You know, almost seven, 16 yards per reception. Uh, but you put on his tape here at the East West Shrine game, and you see that athletic ability. And I think some of the, the, the reasons why he hasn't popped as much in Michigan, I believe, you know, the guy's a starter. But I, I believe that just the, the offense they run in Michigan, which is, you know, predominantly run-based, um, heavy run-based, I should say. They, I, you know, they, I don't think they give these guys their fair shot. There's another kid at, uh, you know, uh, um, uh, doing it at, at the senior bowl we'll talk about later on here. But, you know, size here with, with, with Cornelius Johnson, 6'2", 213. You know, quick feet. Uh, this is the guy that's in and out of his breaks really fast. Uh, uses that quickness and 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 his you know his size to be able to you know uh, release off the line of scrimmage, beat press coverage, can sink his hips, sink his hips, and separate on those whip routes or those or those real real you know quick hitting routes. Um, you know, and accelerates into his route. And this is the guy that that has that speed that kind of builds as he gets deeper into into the route. And again, a guy that's got the body control to be able to go outside of his of his of his frame to be able to bring in. Bring the catch it really has impressed me in terms of you know what he's done so far down here uh, in, in Frisco, Texas, at the East West Shrine game. So I hopefully these guys can pop tomorrow because if they can carry this momentum over into the game and just kind of you know correlate what they've done. And now scouts are going to be running back and taking a look at all these their, their actual game film from from the past years at, at at Michigan for this kid in particular. And again, it put on 2022. He's got six touchdowns. The production is there in touchdowns, but and his average too is averaging almost 16 yards for a reception as well. So, uh, I, big size guy, six two again, two thirteen, quicker than than you anticipate for a guy that size. Just shows some some good acceleration and an ability to to get downfield, and make football, make plays on the football. Jay two says I had no idea that Cornelius was considered a sleeper. He thought he played well, but didn't get the opportunities at Michigan. And that's, that's because of the offense, uh, J2K, they, they run that, that that heavy run offense. And, and a lot of times that's why, you know, JJ McCarthy, you know, I talked a lot, I'll tell you before, although like scouts like this kid and, and a lot of them say that his, his production has been based on the kind of offense he runs with Jim Harbaugh down in Michigan. And once he gets to the next level, this guy's going to be a chance to, to step up his game. So a lot of the Michigan, you know, skill players are doing the same thing here in these all-star games. It's showing some of what they can do as well. Okay, so I think we did all six of your top guys to look for at tomorrow. These are the guys that caught my eye during during the week of practices. Right. So it's tomorrow night's Shrine Bowl game uh, on NFL Network. I think it's a six p.m. kickoff, or maybe maybe seven p.m. Either way, uh, check your local listings. And uh, you mentioned JJ McCarthy. I'll do another plug here. Uh, Jordan Silvera is going to be one of our guests evaluators or guest scouts uh, and he's going to do a report on jj mccarthy we should have that ready for next week's show but right now let's go to this week's evaluator it is a man by the name of rob paul he does a podcast called seven rounds of heaven and i think if i have this correctly cued it is georgia wide receiver marcus 
Rosemary Chick. We try it again. Marcus Rosemary. <laughs> Marcus Rosemary Jack, Jack Saint. <laughs> <laughs> Third and three. Back to the outside, and that's complete. And Marcus Rosamine Jack Saint. So with Rosamine Jack Saint, I think the biggest thing is you, you see he's he's playing for Georgia, and he he wasn't the go-to guy. At, it really at any point in his career there, just out of sheer talent they have around him. Um, obviously, this the last few years, Brock Bowers, Lad McConkey. They brought in Dominic Lovett from Missouri this year. Um, but he's a former top 100 recruit. And you can see that pretty obviously on tape, just in terms of the way he moves. Super fluid receiver. Not a burner, but really clean in and out of his breaks. Catches the ball really well. And so when he got the Senior Bowl invite, it was a little bit of a surprise, I think, to some people. Just because he, he was kind of the third or fourth receiver the last two years for the Bulldogs. Um, but I think he's the type of guy who's going to end up having a better NFL career than he did a collegiate career. Um, when watching the tape, you really see his ability to track the football. His phenomenal body control. It's almost like he's floating when he elevates to win 50-50 balls. Uh, really good catch radius too. And he's a lean 6'2", 195. And he's kind of, uh, just in terms of um, a prospect comparison, I would say Josh Reynolds with the Lions is a very similar stylistically type player, uh, just in terms of not, not a guy who's going to run like a 4-4 or anything, probably more of a 4-5, mid 4-5 guy, um, but just so fluid with his route running. And it's really the ball skills. I think he's among the, uh, uh, of at least the senior receivers this year, um, among the best in terms of ball skills. Bennett. Down the middle. On the run to Marcus. Rosme St. John, and he's got the touchdown. The freshman year, my first touchdown. That would be forever my favorite moment. I don't care if I got hurt after the play, that would forever be the one moment that stick out to me. I ain't ready. So if I could follow up on the play that you broke your ankles, why was that your favorite memory? Because in that one play, I had a lot of a lot of um a lot about myself I learned and a lot about myself that I had to grow into uh, following that play. So it just, I, I feel like that one play, everything that transpired afterwards shaped me to who I am today. So. And I, I think that's part of the, a big reason why it kind of stunted his career at Georgia initially. Um, obviously being a top 100 recruit in, in Georgia, rarely missing on those blue chip kind of guys. He, he didn't really have much of an impact until 2022. And he, even in that capacity, he was more of, of a fourth, fifth reserve type of player. This season, though, he kind of finally had those opportunities. And you could see, again, why he was such a big recruit and why he's earned that senior bowl invite now. And so it, it's just a, a guy who the the injury, I don't think it, it really ha hasn't had like a long-term effect with him. But um it, it kind of did stunt his career early on, and that's why he's been somewhat of a sleeper in this draft class. He's the type of guy who, if you're a team like like the Bears who um, have that go-to guy already in DJ Moore and are probably looking to take a receiver, maybe not uh, 
with the first pick at nine or, or later on day two. Um, he's like a fifth round. I, I would say a, a fifth, a safe bet in the fifth round where he can be a reserve guy who you could take time and develop. Uh, similar again with Josh Reynolds in first with the Rams, now with the Lions. Um, just because I do think he has the the athletic traits you, you look for on top of the fact that he's so good in these 50-50 ball scenarios, which you always want with an X receiver. Like he's a ball winner on the outside um, and he plays bigger than he is. And I, I think development is key with him. And uh, a few years down the line, I wouldn't be shocked to see him being uh, a starting receiver somewhere. That's quite the tongue twister. Um, I'll let you handle it from here. I know you looked at some tape. By the way, I, I should have put a caution on that videotape when he broke his ankle. That was a gruesome, gruesome uh, break of the ankle. I uh, probably should have put a caution on there. So if anyone uh, was startled by that, I, I apologize. Danny, what do you think about this particular wide receiver from Georgia? Yeah, we talked about him last week uh, with, with our guest, uh, JP, in terms of is that guy that, that – this week, I, I thought you know had a chance to go out there and show what he does. And I, I think, I, I think what his talents at Georgia were were kind of not not put to, to the to the fullest you know use in my opinion. Uh, again, yeah, last year, 535 yards receiving, only you know four touchdowns, average again 15.7 yards per catch. So he, he's got that big playability. Um, you know, I, I disagree with, with with the gentleman that we were scouting here for us because I, I think he's going to run in the, the high four fours. I think he's got that type of speed. You know, comes in at six one one ninety here at, at the at the Senior Bowl, um, and and he hasn't done anything to make you say wow or anything right now at the Senior Bowl. But, but he's been consistent. He's a guy that that you know catches the ball when it's thrown him. He's got you know again the, the long the long arms, the huge catch radius. Um, he's a guy that that can extend outside his frame and make a catch. And and I really like them when they lined them up in the slot. Uh, at Georgia, and I think that's where you can see him kind of with no one, you know, not no one getting in his face and pressing him, not slowing him off off line of scrimmage. He's got once he got into his into his route, you saw him put that that gear and kind of get down and, and, and make a play at down at the next level or down the field. So I think he's a guy that that you know that, you know again is not going to go on probably day one or day two. Uh, I'm pretty sure he's not going on day one or day two, but you know day three. You know we're talking about guys where you're looking for guys with traits, guys you can come in and, and you know that you can kind of build up and, and coach up and, and make into players. And we've seen a lot of these receivers, you know, these last, you know, three, four, five years fall into, you know, day three and, and come in and make impact at the, at the NFL level. And again, you're looking for traits, you're looking for ability to make plays at the ball down the field. And, you know, and, and Jack Saint has that ability. He's got the size, he's got the speed, he's got the catch radius. You know, he's, he's just got a slender frame. So, you know, he's going to have to get bulkier and, and, and get a little stronger, uh, especially if they're going to come and, and press him at the line of scrimmage. That's why I like them in the slot a lot because, you know, they typically don't press those guys in the slot. So I give him a free release and you let him get out there and do his thing. So, but yeah, he's, he's not a... He's not a quick twitch, you know, after the catch kind of guy, but he's a guy that can run, play some outside, play some X, play some, play some Z if he wants you, and obviously line up in the slot, give you some options there. And 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 again, talented kid. That injury did slow him down because I mean that that was you know he was a four star you know, recruit coming out of high school. So, uh, but you know that injury kind of slowed him down. It took him a little bit to get back from that. But I think you know once he gets built up again. Not a day one starter, you know, next year, but a guy you can kind of bring in, coach up, but he's got the traits, he's got the tools to be a, a you know, potential starter down, down the line there. 
I was super impressed with him when he said that that was the most memorable play, his favorite play of his college career, that play where he scored his first touchdown in college but also had that horrific ankle injuries that set him back a year and plus uh, the rehab. And he went on to say that um, the reason it's his favorite play is because he learned a lot about himself. He learned that, you know, he can, he has the toughness. He can overcome a, a emotional disappointment plus also the physical disappointment and to come back and play at the high level that he did uh, is, is a testament to his character. So that's got to look up. My only complaint about him is that I saw three or four of his press conferences in all of them. He had a wrinkled shirt, so we need to buy him an iron. <laughs> he needs to iron that shirt. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> All right, Danny, um, there are a number of other Senior Bowls players that we're going to talk about, but first we're going to take a quick break. It's a 30-second break, and then when we come back, I've got another report on a wide receiver from Johnny Wilson, and then um, we'll talk about some of the, your favorites that you've scouted uh, on tape this week okay so stand by everybody i'm rob paul you can find my draft takes and nfl rookie coverage at seven rounds in heaven uh, a podcast that's available everywhere and you can follow my nfl betting with uh, covers.com All right, that was a little commercial for our draft coverage, and I got some good news for those of you who religiously watch the Gabriel Talks football show. He's got a commitment from Daniel Jeremiah to jump on the show, and they're going to debate three or four players that they have disagreements on. That's going to happen very, very soon. And, of course, he's already promised, he being Greg, promised us an interview with uh, Jerry Angelo, the former Bears general manager. That's uh, just two of the people that we're going to have on guests on Great Gabriel Talks Football and Again, on this show, Draft on Tap, we're going to have a number of guests, and I'm working on Jim Nagy after the Senior Bowl. And one guy who did a great job today at the Senior Bowl was Johnny Wilson, and Rob Paul has a report on him. Lawrence Tofili, the running back, a play fake, a deep shot. Wilson behind the defense has the catch. And if that throw had been just a little longer, he might have gone even first play of the half. Ball just the tiniest bit underthrown, but look at the separation by six foot seven, two hundred and forty pound Johnny Wilson, number nine. So I think with Johnny Wilson, the first thing that jumps out is there aren't a lot of wide receivers built like this. He is listed at six seven, two thirty seven, just a massive X receiver, um, and. It, it kind of the buzz started building when he was, I think he was a redshirt freshman at Arizona State in 2021. And Jaden Daniels, of all people, was his quarterback. And they started kind of, they, they had a few games where it, it his talent really popped. And again, when you see a receiver that big making contested catches, you start to get really excited about what he could be. Obviously ends up transferring to Florida State. Great year in 2022. 
not as productive this year, but I think that had more to do with the addition of Keon Coleman, who's a potential first-round pick. Um, but I, I think the thing with Johnny Wilson is, do you, do you leave him at receiver, or do you like the idea of him maybe being that F type of move tight end? Um, I, I've heard people say, could he be in that same mold as Darren Waller? And I, I think that's that's a really lofty comparison. I, I think Darren Waller is just a different type of athlete. Um, but obviously, Johnny Wilson with the the size, the catch radius, the physicality at the catch point, he's a really interesting uh, potential day two pick. I see him more on day three, but uh, a strong senior bowl performance could certainly put him into day two in a deep wide receiver class. There aren't a lot of six foot five and taller receivers who can sink their hips really well. I, I mean, uh, not every athlete's born like Calvin Johnson. Um, so with Johnny Wilson, I, I think that's part of the reason some people are wondering maybe a move to tight end fits him better just because he does kind of, he's a little bit stiff. He does struggle to, to get in and out of his breaks. Um, he's not the most creative route runner in terms of uh, stemming his routes. Um, but at the same time, like if you move him to tight end, does he have the ability to put on another 20 pounds? What's he look like as an inline blocker? That That's part of my concern with him is I, I just not totally sure what I want to do with him. And that's why, right, like the senior bowl is a great opportunity to see how how well does he run? How does he look um, running the full route tree? What's uh, what's he look when like when every, all eyes are on him against the top corner? Is he able to sink his hips and, and just run run a curl? Can he stem his routes one on one and create separation that way? Because he's not a burner. I, I don't like with the Darren Waller comparisons. That's where it just doesn't really add up. I don't think he has that type of athleticism. He doesn't have that type of fluidity. That type of uh, acceleration. So I think he, he's a really tough player to project just because I think a lot of people are getting caught up in what he could be and not looking at it more realistically with these types of massive receivers. I think every draft season, uh, draft Knicks kind of fall in love with these almost unicorn type of wide receivers who are just massive. Um, when a lot of the time they don't work out. Something that kind of interests me with him is uh, we've, we've seen more and more kind of of these jumbo slot receivers in recent years. I mean, that's essentially what how the, the Chiefs use Travis Kelsey, for example. So if we're talking about Johnny Wilson struggling to create separation outside, could, could we view him as a jumbo slot, one of those power slots who plays a big part in the run game um, where he's just going to absolutely overmatch Nichols with his size? Uh, I, I do think like there is a lot of potential here um, with him as a blocker, especially if we're moving him inside. Uh, obviously not as like a classic inline wide tight end, but if he is kind of if a team drafts him and views him as more of that F that move tight end, and you've got this much size uh, on the inside and, and a guy who's willing to block, I, th I think it becomes really interesting for a team um, that wants to run the ball. Uh, like let's use the Bears for example. Um, I, I think he'd be a really interesting addition at slot receiver for them, especially in the run game.
Johnny, what do you think? This uh, Johnny Wilson, who is a massive man, and he help out the Chicago Bears in some way? Oh, of course he can help out the Chicago Bears. I mean, Johnny Wilson, the, the, the big thing with him, I saw him last year. I thought, oh, this this could be another reincarnation of Mike Evans, the, the Buccaneers receiver. But you know, he's not he's not as as athletic as Mike Evans, and you know, he is a, he is a little bit of a you know, he's not as you know as, as athletic as Darren Waller. Even remember, Darren Waller came out of Georgia Tech as a receiver as well, uh, and then turned over to tight end. So I, I don't I don't think he's get that tight end. Um, I don't think he fits that tight end mold, right? I think I think what the big thing with Johnny Wilson is. What can he run? What's he gonna run? Right? Is is he is he a high four seven guy? Then then you know he's not probably not gonna be a big you know you know high draft pick at a receiver, but you know so you know I've been texting with some people down at the senior bowl watching them live and and even watching the tape and he's getting past guys he's he's beating guys down the football but unfortunately his quarterbacks on his team aren't that good and they're not getting the ball to him but he's he's getting so he seems to be a little bit quicker a little bit more faster so you know my my confirm is, is Kelvin Benjamin if you remember him he was a big receiver oh. with the Carolina Carolina Panthers back when they went to the Super Bowl and a big body receiver you know limited in terms of what he can do after the catch but again he's a weapon he's a threat in in, in the red zone a guy that can just, you know, he's 6'6", Wilson, that is 6'6", 237 pounds with 35-plus inch arms. So he's got a huge catch radius. So you talk about, you know, one-on-one fade in the corner. You throw it in his area code, and he's the guy that can go up there and make a, you know, make a, you know, make a catch. So that's the thing for with Johnny Wilson in terms of what's he going to run? You know, what is he going to be at, at the combine in terms of, you know, is he going to be a receiver speed? Or is he going to be a guy that's going to be, you know, kind of flexed out as, as a tight end maybe or, or whatnot? And then the other thing is, I saw a lot of drops in, in at Florida State on this tape, and and that's something that he's gonna have to work on. Those are correctable. You know, we've seen a lot of receivers come in with with, with drop issues, and then just kind of you know put in the effort, put in the work after practice or whatnot, and get better at that. But I mean, if he you know gets rid of those drops and he runs a decent four, say four six or you know high four five, I think he's a guy you you can you could be a big X receiver. You know, I like I like Rob's you know taking them lining up in the slot, especially in, in those those you know red zone areas and where you can, you know, guys can get on him and maybe match up with a smaller DB. And again, just throw it up to him, you know, throw it in his area code. And he's a guy that should be able to go up there and make a play in football. So, you know, he could be, if you utilize correctly, he's a guy that, that could be a weapon for you, especially in, in the red zone. Yeah. You know, it, it was interesting. He, I wish I was down there in Mobile because he was one of the guys I wanted to focus in on. I, did include in that video report a couple of highlights from his day today at the at the senior bowl and let me see if i can put this back up on the screen here um this is him clearly creating separation i mean he might have pushed off there a little bit let me see if i Right. He's, he's got that he's got that big body you know him sinking his hips at six six and and, and creating some of that separation it's, it's a little bit more difficult for him but what he's gonna have to learn is is get better as craft and, and using that frame using that body to, and even like you said you maybe pushed off a little bit you know getting getting crafty with being able to kind of use those long limbs to create that little bit of a separation you know these are nfl quarterbacks you know you know little small creases they can get the ball into you and then and just do that and be, and be a guy that, that can be, you know, at, at worst, a possession type receiver and a red zone target. I think he, he can have a long, productive NFL career the, the, again. But but the thing is, if you're going to expect this guy to stretch the field and all that stuff, I think I think you're asking a little bit too much. But again, he, can he be a threat? Can he be a weapon? Sure. With that with that size, that, that that body length. And if he works on those, like I said, his hands and, and gets rid of those, some of those drops. Um, like I said, we've seen him at, at Florida State beat guys deep. We've seen him here at the Senior Bowl beat guys deep. So, you know, if he gives you some of that, that's going to be a nice, nice little, you know, a, a tarantula, if you will, down, down the football field, trying to, you know, make plays there for you. 
And I love this uh, upcoming highlight. It really uh, it shows perhaps some improvement. Gets away from the defender with a nice right. move, and then it's all hands right there. Beautiful right. job. Let me uh, show you that again while you talk over it. Yeah, and there's other clips. I think it might have been yesterday's practice where he just it was a go route, and he had you know over yeah. the top leverage on on a defender, but the ball was badly thrown. I mean, it was not even in his area code. So, you know, as the thing is like, you know, he's he's shown the ability here to, to get some wiggle to, you know, beat some press coverage at the line of scrimmage, you know, get downfield, get, get over top leverage. Doesn't need that much room, because again, because of his size and, and his length and ability to go up and make a play on a football. So just get some some opening, some some space between you and the defender, whether it's over the top or even like some of those on those crossing out, those out routes. Get some, you know, be able to use your body, your frame to kind of shield off the defender and give your quarterback a nice big target to throw to. I think he can, he can be a weapon for sure. All right. So uh, there are a number of other senior bowl players you wanted to share with us today in anticipation for Saturday's game, which is also on the NFL Network. Why don't you take it away, brother? Yeah, once again, you know, just diving into the to the tape here and and, and some of the, the players here. And great you know, job. I know we mentioned Jim Nagy. We're trying to effort him to get on one of these shows, you know, in the coming weeks. And a great job by him and his staff and just doing, you know, putting up, you know, Yeoman's work in terms of getting guy finding guys, putting talented players on the football field. And you know, it's funny because because you go to me, give me a couple of guys from the senior bowl. I'm like, I, although I, I've seen two days worth of practices, and I have a ton of guys that I want to talk about, but I'm, I'm gonna try and keep it try, try and keep it here to a, a limit here because I know we were trying to do a two hour show, but not not a five hour show. But <laughs> going going on on different teams, right? So, you know, the quarterbacks are really really weak in my opinion. I, I think the best quarterback down there in Mobile right now is Michael Penix Jr. And I, I think even he has had, has shown some difficulties, but but what he but he has shown he has shown that that touch, uh, the accuracy, uh, to be able to spin that ball. You know, it's it it, it is predominantly an arm, uh, all arm motion. Uh, mm -hmm. He does use some feet. I, I thought today looked a little a little better in terms of you know using you know, being able to kind of step up in the pocket, buy some time with feeling that feeling up that rush and throwing some nice dimes to the outside, some outside rights. But again, I think he is by far the the most. Um, or, or the best, I should say, quarterback prospect. If you're looking at the quarterbacks, a, a quarterback that I'll give you a quarterback that has surprised me because I wasn't expecting much from him coming in, but it's really, especially today, I think showed something. With, that's Spencer Rattler. Obviously, if you guys know, he was a highly decorated recruit. Went to Oklahoma under Lincoln Riley. Didn't work out. Caleb Williams came there. He ended up transferring. Is at South Carolina. You, know, you put on his tape. There's a lot of hit or miss with him. Uh, but today, I think he had, a, he had a nice day today. You know, good good zip on the ball. Um, he's a guy that, that can navigate the pocket a little shorter, six feet, you know, 219 pounds, a little slider on, on that side. But again, the, the overall quarterback class, not too great. Michael Penix, for me at least, far, far and beyond the, the, the best quarterback there. Um, in terms of running backs, I, I think the national team's got, got some guys that really caught my eye. Marshawn Lloyd from USC. And I, I, I know I keep talking about US, USC guys, but, you know, I, I watch a lot of Caleb Williams tapes and I, you know, I caught this guy's, you know, he caught my eye. He came down here. Now he's he's doing some things that I want him to see, which is catch the ball out of the backfield. A couple of times he made some nice catches out of the backfield. I think Marshall Lloyd's a guy to keep an eye on. Uh, Rasheen uh, Ali from Marshall, nice shiftiness in, in between the hole. Guy is about 5'11", 204, but he can run in between the tackles. Got a little bit of deceptive speed. Um, a, a guy that, that that I had no idea, I hadn't, I hadn't seen him, and I, I watched him. Uh, he's, he's a little small guy, 5'9", 210. His name is Dylan Luab out of uh, New Hampshire. 
quick twitch, fast kid. Uh, the comps you're hearing about him is like a Danny Woodhead or, or, or something like that. So one of these guys that can be a you know a, a special teams guy or maybe like a third down special. So keep an eye on, on Dylan Luab from New Hampshire. Uh, receiver, again, these are the national team. I'll, I'll touch on the American players later. Receiver, we talked about Cornelius uh, Johnson from Michigan. Is, is His teammate, Roman Wilson, it has been just killing it here. 5'10", 186, 30 and 2-inch, two 2'8", two arm length. He's a slot receiver all day. He's got that ability to to that quick twitch, that two way go. Uh, he's a guy that that can that can make a living at, at the slot level. Um, is is really really good catcher in terms of a hands catcher, natural catcher. I think he's really doing helped himself big time here. A guy that a couple guys that we actually talked about last week and I previewed is, is Brendan Rice, the USC receiver, uh, Jerry Rice's son. I think he's come out here. He's done a good job in terms of showing his ability to be a guy that down the field can make some plays came in at 6'2, 212 he's got almost 33 inch arm length but he's got that track background and you see his ability to be able to get downfield and, and make plays on the football so brendan rice i think has really acquitted himself nicely i think has solidified himself in that second round range if you know again it's too early to kind of you know say all that stuff but i think right now he's looking good in that second round range javon baker from ucf the old uh, former alabama transfer I went to UCF. I think he's done a good job, not overly popping all over the place, but he's made some subtle moves, some subtle plays down the football field. Again, showing the ability with the hands, you know, extend outside his frame, make some catches downfield, make some plays. Javon Baker from UCF has made some plays there. Guys that have opened my eyes that I'm going to go back and watch some more tape on, uh, Ricky Pearsall from Florida, really, I think is, is tuned to be a guy that can make plays on the football down, down the field. Um, you know, I don't want to call him this year's Puka Nakua, but he's got a chance to be that kind of a player. You know, he's a guy that can come in and get into a system and 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 be a guy that can make some you know some plays. So I, I'm going to go back and take a look at his film, Ricky Pearsall from from Florida, Luke McCaffrey from Rice. Obviously, the his brother, you know, uh, Christian McCaffrey, his dad, Ed McCaffrey. Uh, he's a guy that that went to Nebraska as a quarterback and and played quarterback and then transferred to Rice as a quarterback, then switched over to receiver, actually running back and then receiver. So he's been all over the place. So he's learned the position. I think you know his his size at six. 2202 was pretty good. He shows some ability to get some separation, get some, you know, some speed down the football field. Short arms, though, sub 30-inch arms, which kind of surprised me for that frame, that kind of torso. That I don't know if that was just a bad measurement or whatnot. So we'll see what the official numbers are at, at the uh at the combine. But Luke McCaffrey is a guy I'm gonna go back and watch some rice tape and study him uh, as possibly a possession receiver down the field. So those guys, a tight end, Theo Johnson from Penn State, 6'6, 257. You know, 33 and 48 arm length this is a guy that shows the ability to make some plays, maybe stretch the field a little bit. Uh, you know, so Theo Johnson, a tight end. Offensive line, I've touched on a couple of these guys already and some of my tweets and, and some of the, the show earlier, but Jackson Powers Johnson, uh, the, the center from Oregon, um, you know, strong, mauler type, guy that can play guard, guy that can play center, 6'3", 334, 32-plus inch arms. This is a guy that you know, in those, those power gap schemes, I think he's a guy that can move guys off the football field. He's a guy that can get to a second level real quick and, and just seal off and, and eliminate that second level linebacker. So he's, he's looked good. Zach Frazier, I, I, another uh, uh, center, 6'3", 314 with 32 and 3 eighth arm length. He's a guy from West Virginia, more of an athletic 
uh, uh, center. I, I tweeted about him. I think he's a, a, a more ideal fit, from my opinion, if the Bears do run the true wide zone scheme on the Shane Waldron for their scheme. He's an athletic guy, not a mauler, not the guy that can move guys off their, off their spots like a um, Powers Johnson, but he's more of that lateral guy. He got the quickness, a guy that can get to a second level and, and get to a second level defender, a guy that can move laterally, maintain and sustain his blocks. So those two guys – on the national team, the uh, um, Jackson Powers Johnson and Zach Frazier are the two centers. Dwayne Car- going defensive line now. Dwayne Carter from Duke, another guy I'm going to go back and do some work on. 6'2", 308, 33-inch arms. Uh, a guy that isn't just powering guys, you know, backing them up off their, off their spot. Again, might not be a generate, you know, pass rusher kind of guy, but a guy that can be a one technique and, and be a guy that can help, you know, stop the run and stuff the run here at the line of scrimmage. Guy that, that really fits what the Bears like in terms of their defensive linemen. The production hasn't been there, but it's Gabe Hall, the defense tackle from Baylor, 6'6". Six, six. You remember, Iberflus likes long, athletic defensive linemen, whether it's his three technique, whether it's his defensive end. He wants long guys, you know, guys with, with, with long arms, long limbs, and are athletic. And, and Gabe Hall falls into that category. Again, production hasn't been great at Baylor. But here at the senior bowl, he's been, you know, penetrating, getting skinny, getting into the backfield disrupting that 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 run game and at the at the senior bowl practices 6'6 290 pounds 34 and 38 arm lengths again falls into that traits area that the bears like in their defensive lineman uh someone that that's really kind of popped today for me austin booker he's an edge guy undersized guy uh from kansas was at minnesota for two years transferred to kansas is only a redshirt sophomore so he had like at least two more years of eligibility decided to come out uh, again, 6'4", 240, undersized in terms of the weight, but he's one of those – I mean, talk about guys that can come off the edge and just be a pass rusher, guys that can um, line up opposite of Montez Sweat and be a guy with that first-step quickness. And, you know, he's got the long arms, the 34-inch long arms, but, he, again, he's got that first-step quickness. He has a couple of spin moves today in those one-on-one drills that really caught my eye. So Austin Booker is a guy I'm going to go back and do some work on, a kid from Kansas. Um, the, the One of the best players – and uh, position don't be damned at the senior bowl has been Quinn Mitchell, the corner out of Toledo. This kid looks like a first round cornerback all the way, six feet, 195, you know, th- almost 32 inch arms. He's got the quick twitch in terms of his feet can, can be able to plant and, and transition, come down quickly to making plays on the ball. This kid had 19, 18 respectively passes broken up the last two years at, at Toledo. So talk about a ball hawking corner. Quinn Mitchell has made big time money. He's probably moved himself from a, from a late first to probably a mid mid first round pick in this in this this week's uh, practices. So that's the national team. Did you want to take a break, Aldo, or should I keep going with the with the American team? I'm letting, letting you run the show here. Love what you're doing. Continue, please. All right. So we talked about Spencer Rattler again. This is the American team. Spencer Rattler, quarterback. Receiver wise, Jaquan Jackson from, from Tulane, another diminutive small receiver, 5'9", 190 pounds, you know, thirty and plus inch arm length. Not a big guy, but a guy that can work that slot, a guy that can make plays in, in the open field. Um, comes from NFL, NFL pedigree. Ed, Ed Reed, the, the all-pro safety, or the Hall of Fame safety, I should say, is, is his nephew. He's his nephew. So, um, so you know, Jaquan Jackson from Tulane has been making plays all over the football field uh, down in Mobile. Uh, Ryan Florney is, is, a, is a receiver from Southeast, Southeast Missouri. So, Whenever I see the the schools with the directional you know, names, you know, and then so I, I gotta always go back and look at these guys. And, and Ryan Florney has really shown me something this this week. And in terms of he's just a smooth, big receiver, 6'1, 200 pounds, 10-inch hands, big hands, and again, catches it effortlessly. So again, he's a guy, Ryan Florney from Southeast Missouri. I'm gonna go back and take a look at he's opened my eyes. Um, 
Lad McConkey, uh, the, the the kid from Georgia. You know, I, I kind of wrote him off as, oh, he's just a, you know, you know, I don't want to sound, you know, but a white guy that that's, you know, that makes catches, right? But he's more than that. He's come down here. He runs terrific routes. He's got great acceleration into his routes. He does a great job of setting up his his, his defenders, knowing how to how to you know uh, run and cut off of his leverage. He's always open. And he's always running routes. And he's always getting open. So, and he's got sure hands. And I think you know this guy that you know they're talking about. He might run in a four fours at the combine. So, so he's got speed. He's got the ability to you know route running abilities. He played in a pro style system at Georgia. Uh, he's got good hands. I think Lad McConkey has really shown off and, and shown out here this this week here at at, at the Senior Bowl. Um, going to the offensive line on the American team, Christian Hayes, uh, center guard from uh, UConn, really kind of caught my eye, especially today. Uh, he's a guy that's athletic, six three. I'm sorry, six two three eighteen with thirty three plus inch arm length. So he's got the 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 length to play a guard. But I think I, I see him. I think he might be shifted inside to to center. We'll see what happens. Today I saw him taking snaps at center at, at, in those uh, in those one on ones as well. So we'll see what goes. But he's really impressed me. He's that guy. Actually, got into it today with with uh, Jefferson from LSU, the defensive tackles. They had got into a little scuffle there in those one on ones. So Christian Hayes. From UConn, keep an eye on that guy. Uh, Javon Foster, tackle from Missouri. Um, again, we've talked about, you know, uh, is is uh, Braxton Jones the, the left tackle of the future? Is he, you know, someone that you can move off of? Well, Javon Foster is a guy who's making his case to, to be to get drafted early on on you know, day two here. Um, you know, uh, 6'5", 309, 35-inch arm. So he's got the measurables, and he's shown he's got the athletic ability in terms of the feet, in terms of staying balanced in his stance. And he's shown some nastiness. I mean, these guys come out there in one on one. He's really kind of trying to, you know, put his weight on some of these guys and, and really show that he's he is here to play. So Javon Foster, tackle from Missouri, is really showing out. Um, this guy for me is just it fits all the measurables. And Patrick Paul, tackle from Houston, another guy, 6'7", 333, 36 plus inch arm length. He's got all the traits and the measurables. Doesn't have the foot quickness yet that I would be comfortable with just putting him at left tackle. But again, more of a developmental guy. Just keep an eye on him. Uh, Brendan Coleman, tackle from um, uh, TCU, uh, 6'4", 316. Doesn't have the length in terms of the height, but it's got the 34-plus inch arm length. So I think he's a guy, and he's shown the athletic ability to play to play tackle. So I think he's a guy that to keep an eye on here as a as a left tackle as well. So Brendan Coleman from from TCU, uh, going to the to the defense side. Again, I talked about Quinton Mitchell being the best player on the um, on the um, on the on the national team. The best player on the American team, hands down, is Darius Robinson, this defensive end from Missouri, and he's a guy. Um, he fits the Bears, guys. This is a guy that that's ideal for the Bears in terms of what Eberflus and his staff wants. He is a guy, you know, def- can, he's a 6'5", 286. As a defensive end, right, uh, but can kick inside. He's got the 34 and 6 eighth arm length, so he's got the, the, the traits that Aberflus wants in his defensive lineman. And, again, can kick inside on, on pass-watching situations. He's more of a power-based defensive end, so kind of thinking like another Montez Sweat. So doesn't ideally fit in terms of what I was looking for, which is that quick twitch, first-step quickness. But he's shown that he's got the hand technique, the usage to be able to get free and put pressure on the quarterback. Doesn't have the the the, the flex the, the bend that you want around the corner, but he wins with power. He's a guy that extends those long, you know, 30, 34 plus inch arm length into the, the tackle's chest and walks him back. He's got a little nice little swim move. He's got a little up and under. So he's got some hand usage there. And again, when you kick him inside a defensive tackle on a on a you know in a, th- a third down situations or pass rush situations, you put him in. Now you team up with another guy on the outside. I think this is a guy. Keep an eye. He, he's right in that area in terms of 
you know, what the Bears like, and, and he could be falling into that second round range. It, I mean, after this week, he might even be that late first round. We'll see, uh, you know, we'll see where it goes. But uh, you know, he's a guy that, you know, as a three-year starter, um, you know, uh, for, you know, led Missouri in tackles, tackles for loss and sacks. You know, 2022 was a, was a, a academic on-roll at, at the SEC. So he's a captain his senior year. So this guy has got everything in terms of what you're looking for, football character, the body, the, the, the physical traits, and he's putting it on the field and on tape here in terms of what he's doing at the Senior Bowl. Last year had eight and a half sacks, which was the, the biggest or the most he's had in entire, his entire uh, career with 14 tackles for loss. So, you know, it might be a late bloomer, but he's coming on. He's coming on strong here. I think this is a guy – He's for sure in the second round, might even be tail end of the first round. So keep an eye on that guy, Darius Robinson from Missouri. Um, uh, uh, JP, last week, he, he called it, Brendan Fisk. He's a guy that I watched on tape, and to me, he looked a little stiff at Florida State. Uh, but, man, he's been he's been an energizer bunny here in these one-on-ones. Uh, he's a guy that, you know, first-step quickness. And he's a guy that, again, shows the ability to be able to rip under, get use his hands, get free does great job in terms of winning with leverage, right? He doesn't have the, the measurables you look for. He comes in at 6'4", 295, short arms, 31-inch arms, which is for a defensive tackle are, are usually a downfall for him. Uh, but what he's been doing here at the Senior Bowl is he's been winning with, again, first-step quickness and using his hands to gain leverage and beating these offensive linemen. I mean, it's not even close at times, even on the seven-on-sevens, even in team drills, you see him just penetrating, getting past the offensive alignment and getting into the backfield. So Brendan Fisk has done a great job and has made himself some money here this week in Mobile. Again, it's only been two practices, guys. Um, Eric Watts, another guy from UConn. You know, production hasn't been there uh, in terms of, you know, uh, stat-wise, but again, fits the profile uh, from what Eberflus and the Bears like. 6'5", 277 pounds, defensive end, you know, 35-plus-inch arms, Again, uh, he's a guy that you know has shown that his ability to you know, extend those arms, got some shock in his in his punch. Has a, a couple times he, he landed a, a clean shot into the chest of the offensive lineman and literally walked him right back into the quarterback. So going, he's a guy that that's flashed. A guy I'm going to go back and do some more work on. But again, falls into that traits you know category that that Eberflus and and the Bears defensive staff likes in their defensive lineman. So um, one guy I've have not done no work on, just found out about him is is, is Jalen Hunt. From Houston Christian, he's an edge guy, uh, 6'4", 250, 34 and two eighth arm length. Again, has those traits, those measurables, and he's got that first step quickness. So, you know, we got. I'm gonna go back and do some work on him. But you know, these guys have all so far these first two two practices have really shown out and and shown popped on tape and shown these NFL evaluators and general managers like, listen, I got something here you could you could work with and look at. So all, the, all these guys here are looking to continue to build in that momentum, hopefully carry on over to Saturday and then and then have a you know have a great great game there. You're on outstanding job. Uh, 50 cents in the jar. Outstanding job. I mean my goodness you are putting the work in. I really appreciate that. Hey I got a list here of guys who dropped out from the senior bowl uh this year include the guy that you talked about last week, Byron Murphy, Jalen O oh, was a defensive tackle over at Texas, yeah. Jalen Wright, the running back at Tennessee, Troy Fontenot, who we highlighted last week, Cooper mm-hmm. Beebe uh, from Kansas State, the offensive lineman, the center, Cedric, Cedric Van Praan. A lot of people have been mocking him to the Bears in round three or four. Michael Barrett, the linebacker from Michigan, that tiny cornerback who always makes big plays for Michigan, Michael Sanders still, and Jaden yep. Hicks, Washington State, uh, Kalen Carson, a really good cornerback out of Wake Forest, and John. Josh Newton, which of these guys not playing in the senior bowl? And I, I'm not sure why they dropped out, whether it was advice from their agent or injury or whatever it was. 
which of these guys are you most disappointed that they are not going to play this week? Well, I'm, I'm assuming that they got advice from their agents that, that they don't need to go out there and perform, which which to me, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I mean, if, if you're going to be a – look, look at Latu from, from UCLA. Obviously, he was the guy that I said by far is, is probably my, my top edge guy. And he, you know, he came in a little in terms of his his arms are a little little shorter than I expected. So we'll see how that comes up. The official numbers at, at the combine, but again, he's been out there and he's been showing what he, what he's got. I mean, he's he's beating, you know, he's been beaten a couple times, sure, but he's been got there. He's competing, he's beating, he's showing his, the ability to compete and and get to the quarterback. So I'm not sure why these guys are, are just you know sat out of, of all those guys. I mean, I mean, Byron Murphy, I think is is pretty much uh, a guy that they have kind of set in, into that that first round range. But again. Stat-wise, he wasn't great. I mean, he's a guy that that's, can come out here. He's got the traits. And he's got the ability to kind of show off and, and, and do even better. Uh, I'm not sure why these guys are getting the, these these you know these uh, advice from their from their agents. But you know, Troy uh, uh, Fontanu from from George uh, from Washington played tackle, and he's he's being projected to play guard. I mean, this would have been a place to hear his show. Hey, if you want to play tackle, come down here and play tackle and show these scouts and these coaches I can play tackle. But you know, again, he, he's sitting out for whatever reason. Um, you know, some of the other guys, I, again, I, I'm just basing these off what agents are, are, are advising these kids. And, and some of them are doing on this justice, you know, you know in, in, in a disservice, I should say, because, uh, you know, they could actually come in here and, and make more money and, and, and or cement their spots in the first round, if you will, um, carry that momentum over into, into the into the combine as well. So uh, um, uh, Graham Barton, uh, uh, the guy from Duke, also uh, was listed as accepted. I'm not sure if there's an injury related with him or not, but he's a left tackle from, from Duke that uh, I project inside at center. Uh, a lot of scouts I've talked to have him as their top center, believe it or not. Um, again, he played left tackle at Duke. So uh, he's a guy that that's not there. I haven't heard in terms of if there's an injury related. I don't see him on your list here. It's guys that have dropped out. But again, those are the guys that, uh, you know, it's, it is disappointing because I think this is an area where, again, I never once fearing injury and all that stuff. But, you know, you, you, you also it's, it's a place to come in here and compete one final time with, you know, with, with college, you know, with the best of the best of college football. And just kind of cement your your way into into that first round if you're a first rounder, or if you're a borderline first rounder, you know, come on. How many times have you seen guys come out of nowhere and and just you know jump you know rounds here because of what they did the senior bowl? Because everyone's watching, all eyes are on you. So and you can go in and, and you can impress in, in in the interview process and all that stuff. So it, it just makes no sense for me, in my opinion, to to keep your guy out. Now, I should say that some of those players did appear over at the Mobile, uh, at Mobile, and I think it was just to try to get that interview in with scouts, but they have not practiced. And in most cases, I don't even think that they were measured, uh, which to me is just like you said, to repeat you, uh, just bad advice from, from the agents. All of this information is going to come out about these guys. So exactly. why, not, why not do it in that environment? And like uh, Kavandre Sweat, the big defensive tackle from from Texas, he refused to get weighed. Mm. So that tells me he's got a lot of lot of a lot of fat, right? So that so it tells me he, you know his weight has ballooned up after the season. He hasn't been keeping up in, in his shape. He doesn't want to get weighed, so he wants to kind of come here, show what he's got. And he's been impressive in terms of one on ones, being able to use that power, that strength to kind of bully offensive linemen. But why don't you get weighed? Because now you just oh, even if you're up five pounds, up 10 pounds. Now you put a question mark on your work ethic saying, all right, you know, you knew you were coming out to the senior bowl and you, and you kind of slacked off. And so that puts doubts in, in, in coaches' minds and scouts' minds and gyms' minds. Like, you know, this is a very important job interview. Why not just go out and, and, and get in, in, in shape, you know, and again, carry that momentum into the, into the, into the combine. But why, by, by not weighing himself and not allowing himself to get weighed, 
that puts some some question marks in terms of his work ethic um, in, in scouts and in, in some of the gym's minds now. All right. Uh, in terms of questions, we had a number from J2K. And J2K, I want to say, I think all of them, if not most of them, were answered by Danny during his um, – his presentation there. Did you talk about Marsh uh, Marshot or Marshall running back? Yeah, yeah. You, you talked about him. Yeah, from Marshall. Yeah. And J2K says, "Man, I wish I could just Skype with Danny on long. <laughs> Make a date with uh, J2K, will you?" <laughs> um, all right. Let's see. Oh, the one other thing is J2K asked uh, Danny any thoughts on Northern Iowa defensive tackle Christian Boyd or Iowa defensive tackle yeah. Logan Lee. Yeah, both guys are 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 at the uh, at the East West Shrine game, and Logan Lee, you know, flashes in in the uh, in the one on ones. Uh, you know, is undersized, undersized, about six five, two hundred eighty five pounds. Uh, you know, uh, defensive defensive tackle. Uh, you know, but when when he gets into the the, the team drills, he, he's a guy that, that just kind of loses his, his space. You know, a guy that can't hold his ground, gets pushed around re really thin in terms of his lower lower half. Uh, so he needs some developing there, but I mean, he's a guy that could get could go drafted in, in the, the day three, uh, but but more of a developmental guy. And Christian and Chris Boyd is is, is a big, powerful run stuffing guy. That, that again is a guy that, that can take on blockers. Um, you know, uh, doesn't have the, the the measurables, but he's a big, thick body, uh, you know, powerful lower half. And he's a guy that you know you'll see play tomorrow night. Where again, he's going to be occupying blockers, and and if he gets into the backfields, because he he literally bullied himself back into the quarterback's lap. So uh, those are. Those are the two guys you just talked about. J2K says someone said that, well, these guys be able to keep the weight off in year three, you know, and I, I think, well, everyone gets weight at the beginning of the season when they report for the mandatory training camp and the off season and the, the beginning of training camp. And so those are when, you know, the pro teams uh, catch guys who have maybe indulged too much during the off season, but also Every NFL team now has really good nutrition staffs. They sit down with these players. They really coach them up and teach them what are the right things to eat, what are the right things to do to maintain their weight. And so if if the, a player is, is going to come in overweight, man, he has no discipline whatsoever. And you really should think about not having him on your squad. And, and by not by not allowing himself, by not a lot, by sweat, not allowing himself to get, to get weight in, you know, we don't know that, right? So now you put right. doubt in people's minds because now all you can do is just kind of, oh well, he must have been you know taking care of himself. He probably ballooned up, and you know some some guesses were like he's over 370, 380, 380 pounds. You know that's you know that's not ideal for a guy that that's going to be you know if you want him to be you know uh, more than just a two down player. You know you have to get back back in shape. But the kid's talented. He's athletic, powerful. Uh, you know just got to get himself in shape. Have you been able to look at Duke's Dwayne Carter? Yes, Dwayne Carter is another guy that caught my eye. Um, I have his numbers here somewhere. Uh, 6'2", 308 pounds, 33-inch arms, a huge hands, 10 and 2 weights. Uh, again, another guy that, that that showed some surprising quickness for a guy almost, you know, 300 and uh, over 300 pounds. Um, you know, sh showed the ability to, to be a, a one technique in, in this scheme. Um, again, guy that just uses his strength, good, powerful lower half, get into the into the backfield. Uh, but yeah, uh, Dwayne Carter from Duke has, has also popped out on tape here in his first couple of practices. Very good. All right. Um, let us talk now about these changes with the Chicago Bears offensive coaching staff. Here are 
the names. Shane Waldron is, of course, the new offensive coordinator. Eric Washington is now the new defensive coordinator. Quarterbacks coach is Kerry Joseph. If you've been watching the senior bowl practices, he's gotten a lot of camera time. Wide receivers coach is Chris Beatty. The running backs coach is Chad Morton, former NFL running back. Passing game coordinator coming from the Carolina Panthers is Thomas Brown. He actually called plays for a couple of games before Frank Reich uh, took it away from him. What are your thoughts on this new coaching staff, particularly on the offensive side? Well, the the good thing is they're bringing in guys that, that have been successful in the league, right? You know, obviously we talked about Shane Waldron last week as a guy that's actually called plays in the in the in the NFL. Oh my God, you know, the guy's got experience. He's been successful developing, you know, two types of quarterback, whether it's Russell Wilson uh, and we're not developing, but you know, being successful in his offense. A Russell Wilson with the Pro Bowl with Shane Waldron, and then a Geno Smith who's more of a pocket kind of quarterback made the Pro Bowl with with, with Shane Waldron. So I mean, we like that Thomas Brown. You know, has got also comes from the Shane, uh, Sean McVay tree. You know, a, a former passing uh, game coordinator with with them, and also a running backs coach. So, as you mentioned earlier, has you know experience calling plays. So, so they're bringing in ga- these guys. You know, uh, Chad Morton. I, I always for I always think it's it's the USC receiver, but I don't think it's a USC receiver. This this Chad Morton. So, but he's a running back coach. He's been doing that in Seattle. Obviously, Seattle's got two. You know. Uh, Two pretty good young running backs, and 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 uh, Kenneth Walker, and then they, they just drafted Jack Charbonnet this past this past draft. So you know those guys were productive. So again, guys that that have, that have done seemingly like a good job. Beatty from from this from the Chargers, uh, he was there. Obviously, he was D, with DJ Moore at Maryland. You know, coached the mayor in Maryland, and then went to the Chargers. And you know, he's been with Keenan Allen and Mike Williams, and we've seen you know this that kid Palmer kind of develop there as well. So you know, what we want is is guys that can they can they can kind of take you know talented players like say Jack Saint and then, and then just kind of, you know, or, or, you know, coach them up, take their, their raw traits and then make them into football players. And I, hopefully these guys have done it or they, they have done it before in the NFL. Hopefully they can come here and do it here for the bears. But the main thing that it tells me, Aldo, and, and this is something that you may disagree or agree with me. I'm not sure, but I, I think this just tells me that this is that they're bringing in a new quarterback and they're going to draft a quarterback and they're bringing in, to bringing in all these coaches, you know, passing game coordinator, you know, and Shane Waldron and all this stuff, all this experience to kind of cocoon that quarterback and, and grow him up because you know why? Because this is going to be Ryan Poles and Matt Eberflus's quarterback. Justin Fields was not. And they do him out there with a half-ass offensive line, Byron Pringle and Dante Pettis as his top receiver and say, hey, see what you do, can you do, kid? And then, you know, they kind of, for me, I – they threw, them, they threw them to the wolves, and and now you see. I think they're kind of getting they're getting that infrastructure, even though they're not saying it's going to be this or that, and there's it's still open. But I just, if I'm reading the tea leaves, and I could be, you know, wrong, obviously, but I I just think that they're just putting a nice cocoon here to drop in their quarterback of choice, whether it's Caleb Williams or Jane Downs, whoever it is, and have them get coached up. You know, I, you just made a really really good point uh, about this. Let's face it, every general manager wants to bring in their own people, and especially at the quarterback position. And the fact that a matter is uh, Justin Fields hasn't done enough to distinguish himself. Now, we know why. There, Of course, as Danny said, you know, a patchwork kind of offensive line or surrounding him with, you know, an offensive line that doesn't have any cohesiveness, uh, only one weapon in one year of the three years that he's been quarterback for the Chicago Bears and DJ Moore at the wide receiver position. You know, it, it definitely was not 
what we said in past draft on tap shows, which is let's surround Justin Fields with as much talent as possible. Well, Ryan Post, either by design or or just by happenstance, has focused more on the defense and 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 I guess Matt Eberflus probably had a big say in that. But this my my overall point is is this could have been a design by Ryan Pose. Let's tank for the first two seasons. Let's not play very well. Build up draft capital just like we've cleared up salary cap for free agents. And then in the year three of the rebuild, with all of these quarterbacks coming out, we land one of those top quarterbacks. And lo and behold, they got an opportunity to take the quarterback of their choice. So it is a uh, compelling argument that you make there, and I'm starting to believe that as much as I want Justin to return in 2024, I don't think it's going to happen. I really don't. Sad. Yeah, yeah and, and me too. I mean, like I said, I, I'm, I'm Team Justin. I, I would like to from there go ahead and trade that pick, and and just just think to have, to have two first round picks for the next three years and multiple day two picks, you know, that's what they, they probably potentially could get from, from trading that first overall pick and just build a team around Justin. And 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 like I said, I said before, and I truly believe this, he's only, tw- Justin's only 24 years old. I don't think he's hit a ceiling. And and, and I, I think his floor, if, if, if worst case scenario, if, if he's an average to good quarterback, I think you could win with him with a defense, with a running game, with, with weapons on the outside. But I bet obviously, I, I think, I think what you, what you said is true. I think, I think, they want their own guy. And I think it also helps kind of reset the clock for them. And this is what Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy were trying to do when they went and got Justin Fields and Hey, George, we got our quarterback. Now we're going to go ahead and build with this guy. But you know, that, you know, that, that, that was kind of late to, you know, to, um, to rest when, when they, when they were all fired. But I think mm-hmm. Paul's just kind of said, I'm going to say, listen, I got my quarterback, you know, you know, Aberflus, you don't win next year. You're out. I'm going to go get another coach. So that's another thing with, with this offensive staff that I do kind of like, although is, is they have guys that, you know, so so if say Eberflus is, you know, they saw off 0 and 5 or 0 and 6, they want to fire him in season. Remember, we were talking about him before 55. Who's going to take over? There's no one that can take over. But you have Eric Washington now, who is who was an associate head coach with Buffalo. You have, you know, you have guys, maybe maybe Sean Wal- Shane Waldron, who's an aspiring wannabe head coach. You know, we have Thomas Brown, who's also you know interviewed head coaching position. So if you had to make an in-season change, not saying that they're going to, but I'm saying if you had to, you have some candidates now on the staff that could fill in in an interim basis too. So I, I like I like that aspect of all. You got guys that have been in the league for a long time. Obviously, Eric Washington started here at Northwestern, was on Levy Smith's staff. You know, ended up going to to North uh, to Carolina with Ron Rivera, was a defensive coordinator under Ron Rivera, and what now was a defensive line coach with. Um, Sean McDermott and an associate associate head coach with the, with the Bills as well. So you know he's a guy that I know Greg speaks highly of uh, from his time here with the Bears. So I think he's a guy that's been a great teacher in terms of getting those defensive linemen to to, to develop and, and, and be better. So you know with those two young guys they got last year, and if they draft a couple more young guys this year, I think Eric Washington will be a nice you know nice piece to have there in that coaching staff to go ahead and and, and tour those guys and get them up. So I do like some of the moves they made. It's just I I, I wish they had you know. Uh, for me, at least, I wish they had not given up on Justin as, as soon as they. It looks like they it have again. Like, it lo- it's just, just you know, nothing's been decided. So no one get on Twitter and say this is blah blah. It's that's what it looks like. So mm-hmm. yeah. And John says, how does Poles and Flues just get past get a path on putting out the worst team in the division uh, to to uh, straight seasons? That's that's the thing. I I truly believe 
that Poles told uh, McCaskey, this is the plan, so forgive us. We're going to suck for a couple of years. And so, you know, and so he's he got a free pass. He's, he's going to be here at least three years. If this team doesn't improve in 2024, I do believe Poles' job is in jeopardy and Flus is definitely out. What do you think, Danny? I think I think Flus's job is on the line. I, I think they pretty much, they pretty much said it at that press conference. You know, they, mm-hmm. they said that they expect wins. Uh, they didn't they didn't go out. And I don't believe and correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think they said they expect to be in the playoffs, but I think they said they expect more wins, right? So they got right. seven wins. So they expect more wins of what nine, ten wins. So that that should make you a playoff team, right? So they pretty much said without saying that they will expect to be a playoff contender next year. So if Flus doesn't get him there, I think he's his job is 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 out. You know, and and uh, the, the one the one uh, weird thing that happened. Is is Mike Vrabel never didn't get a job? Uh, although there there's some talk about maybe Andy Reid if he wins the Super Bowl he might walk away and Vrabel could be a nice shoe and fit in there. So we'll see mm-hmm. what happens there. But Vrabel's available. I'm not a I'm not into Bill Belichick. I'm I'm okay with that. But Ben Johnson turned down the Commanders and the the now some are saying that he wasn't going to get the job anyway. Mm-hmm. What we don't know. But that's a guy that that I expect to be another hot candidate candidate next year. Um, so you know that's a, that's a guy that that intrigues me especially if you have a young quarterback and, and, and you want to bring in a, an offensive guy that can build around the young quarterback. So that's a name to keep an eye on there as well. But I think, I think Eva Flus is on, is on the, uh, on the hook there this year. If he doesn't win, he's out. Um, and, and, and I, I think Ryan Poles will have a chance to, you know, uh, he picks his quarterback. He's going to have a chance to pick his, his next coach. So I think he's going to get two coaches. Um, my only worry though, although, and, and this is, this is me, the cynical bears fan, not the analyst here mm-hmm. is, Iberflus goes and wins nine games, makes it as a seventh seed in the playoffs, and gets a contract extension. And now we're stuck with Iberflus for another two, three years. That's yeah. my worry. <laughs> that, well, that, that could happen. And, you know, this this narrative about uh, assistant coaches, coordinators not wanting to come to Chicago because Iberflus is a lame duck, I think that narrative was destroyed with what's happened the last uh, two weeks in the hires by the Chicago Bears. The, the overriding decision by a coordinator or an assistant coach to accept or not accept the job is money, guaranteed money. And so that's going to be the number one thing. You know, if Iberflus loses their job and then they are subsequently fired as a result of that, and if they've got, they've got another year or two years of guaranteed dollars, that's fine. They're not going to die. They're going to be able to pay the mortgage and feed the kids and stuff. So that's a huge, huge thing that we fans need to consider when we're talking about lame duck uh, uh, co- uh, head coaches. Yeah, especially uh, someone like Shane, Shane Waldron, who has head coaching expi- you know, aspiration. Mm-hmm. He wants to be a head coach in the league. And, and if he comes here and he fixes his offense, because he's he's pretty much a head coach of his offense, and it's all mm-hmm. on him, right? He hired his running back coach. He hired his receivers coach. He hired whoever you know he wanted. So yeah, I think he's gonna if he fixes his offense, whether it's Caleb Williams, Gene Daniels, Justin Fields, whoever the quarterback is, you know he's gonna be a hot candidate next year, right? So mm-hmm. he's looking at, at, at this opportunity. And I think is we're, we're speculating that Eberflus has one year left on his contract. We don't know because they right. never said anything. I know Brad Biggs does a great job for the Chicago Tribune here locally. Says that he thinks it's a four. I believe he said it's a four-year contract. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so we're speculating. But it could be a five-year contract. It could be a six-year. We don't know what, what they were given when they refused to 
comment on it. So, you know, there could be something that we don't know about there as well. But again, you come in here with, I think they see the potential in terms of what they do. I'm assuming Ryan Poles laid out the plan in terms of what they want to do for this offense, how they're going to build this offense. And I think Shane Waldron and, and the rest of the coaches believed in it. And like you said, they probably all got a three-year contract. I'm assuming guarantee money. So even if they, if they let go next year, you know, they still have two years where they can sit back and collect money. And Shane Waldron was so popular this year that I, I don't, I don't see him not getting a job next year. Very interesting. Lots to talk about with this quarterback uh, position for the Chicago Bears and how this coaching staff is going to, you know, either work with the, the veteran Justin Fields, calling him a veteran now sounds funny, right? Or a, a new quarterback like Caleb Williams. And Shane Waldron, I think, worked at for an organization called the Quarterback Connection, which is a uh, – uh, a training facility for quarterbacks that Caleb Williams was a part of. So there might be a connection. Justin Fields as well. Justin Fields was there as well. Okay. I didn't and know then, that. And then the the quarterback tutor that, that Caleb Williams hired is, is Rich, and I'm going to butcher his last name. It's Scangarello, I think it is. He was – he's also a disciple from the Sean McVay tree, uh, mm -hmm. Kyle Shanahan tree. So he's a guy that actually um, – Vic Fangio hired as his offensive coordinator in Denver as his first year, and then I, I subsequently fired him after the first year. So he's got, so he 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 comes from that Sean McVay tree as well. So you know, you know, and if you and then obviously connect the dots here, Shane Waldron, you know, Scanrello training, you know, Caleb Williams. Caleb Williams should be theoretically, if you think about it, kind of up to date in terms of what this offense is all about. Uh, if he is the if he is the pick, right? So you know you would think day one he'd be in, comfortable in the offense. So the, the connections all match, but but yes, you're right. And but but uh, Justin Fields also went to that same quarterback, you know, offseason school as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know uh, uh, some comments in the chat room from Jordan and others uh, about uh, Eberflus and how disappointed they are that he is returning. I wouldn't give up on Matt Eberflus. You know, I, one of the things that I learned as being a staff director in corporate America, and a lot of this flows over into the world of sports, is that when you have an employee, or in this case, you have a head coach or a player, you don't, you shouldn't right away think of getting rid of the person. You got to look at the person and say, hey, let's sit down, figure out where you are making mistakes and figure out how you can correct them. And hopefully that's been done with Matt Eberflus. You know, one of the things that I learned is that the Chicago Bears might be getting into the whole coaching coaches world, which is bringing in people to help uh, Eberflus, when he's talking to the media, how many times did Eberflus put his foot in his mouth by, you know, staying on a topic for uh, 15 minutes? They asked him a question, and he wouldn't get off it. He's just trying to find the right way to put words. And uh, uh, Greg, uh, Chris Ballard, from the GM from the Indianapolis Colts, told Greg Gabriel, he shared this on GTF, that one of the ways that Ballard stopped the Indianapolis media from asking these questions is that he immediately said, I'm not going to answer those questions. I'm not going to answer this. So get off of it. Very firm, told it like it is. And so now there's a, a working relationship between the media and in this case, the GM, and it should be here in Chicago, the media and the, and the head coach, that there are certain things that you may ask, but you only ask once because, you know, remember Mike Tomlin just walking out and the lady, the lady reporter asked him about his contract. That's the way you handle the media. It might be, look unpleasant, but you got to, 
put your foot down and say, this is what I'm going to talk about. And this is, this is what I'm not going to talk about. You know what? For us fans, we would respect him more for having that authoritative stance, that leader stance, standing up to the reporters, like hopefully he's standing up to players who are not playing well on the football field. Yeah, you know, and it's all well, although, and, and you're right, he 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 did look like a, a clown at times after the game, and just did, didn't know how to handle the media and all that stuff. And and you know, I, I understand, you know, he's not a he's a football coach, right? He's not a guy that's that's a PR guy that's that's smooth and, and you know in front of the cameras. And you can coach him up, you can make him better there. But for me, although it, it, it falls onto, onto this team, right? It falls to the how unprepared this team was those, those first three weeks of the season, how it looked like they're they're clueless in terms of what they're doing offensively and defensively, right? It terms it falls upon, upon the, the two coaches. I know he didn't he didn't do anything wrong, but he brought those guys in. He vouched for those two guys, and they they that actually is is a, a, a you know a taint on him, right? In terms of him picking the right guys, you know th- those things, right? Uh, you know the the defense got better, but but again they only beat. You know, there of the seven wins, six came against uh, against uh, losing teams, and and most of them had backup or third string quarterbacks playing. Right, they only beat one team with a winning record, and that was the Lions. And they blew a you know a, a double digit lead in the fourth quarter to the Lions. They blew three games with, with double digit leads in the fourth quarter. If they won those three games for a defensive minded coach, they could have been in the playoffs. You know, you know the the, the in game decisions at, at times were just kind of weird. When to go for a field goal, when not to go for a field goal. Although Dan Campbell kind of threw that out there last week as well. So you know. It's 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 just the in-game stuff as a head coach. After the the Mike stuff, that's fine. I I you know whatever you can coach him up. Now. I just don't have confidence in him as a head coach to be able to go ahead and lead this team to the next level. And you're entering a a, a phase of, of this franchise where if you it's Justin, if it's a first overall pick, this is now where you, you maximize on this the 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 salary cap, the the draft pick capital, you know you know you know the the the, the excitement in the fan base, and you go ahead and you move this team forward. And yet, if your head coach is is not capable of doing that. And I don't have confidence in him. You know, you and other people might have confidence, and I respect your opinions, but I just don't have confidence in him. You know, going into that Green Bay game, that was a game where we all talked about, hey, you know, you're not making the playoffs, but you know what? This could be a nice jumping off point for next year. Go in there and let's 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 fin- you know finish this game and and, and win. And the defense didn't show up. Matt Lafleur outcoached him. Matt Lafleur, you know, mopped the floor with him in terms of his coaching, you know, schematic and all that stuff. So you know, that doesn't give me confidence. You know, looking at the division, although. He's the fourth fourth rated coach in the division. He he's not better than Matt Lafleur. He's not better than Dan Campbell. He's not better than, than Kevin O'Connell, in my opinion. Right. So again, why why put up with that? Why put up with the, with the, not the best? And I and I was I was here. I'm pining for Jim Harbaugh, and I know Harbaugh's gone to the Chargers. And I know it, it, reportedly they paid him sixteen million dollars per year, and I and I know that. The McCaskies weren't going to do that. They weren't going to pay him no guy $16 million a year. Plus, he went and he picked his hand-picked GM, uh, the guy who worked for his brother's organization in the Ravens, so he knows what he wants and all that stuff. So I understand, and they were never going to give that much power to, to Jim Harbaugh. But, again, go for the coach that, that will take you take you into the next level. And I guarantee you the Chargers within three years are either going to be in a Super Bowl or will have won a Super Bowl with Jim Harbaugh as their head coach. Matt Eberflus might be fired by next year. All right, we'll see it. Uh, I have to see it to believe it. I'm not a big Harbaugh fan. I don't think that his inclusion with the Chargers is going to give them a ticket to the Super Bowl. Maybe the Super Bowl. Within three years. I see within within three three years. years. I heard you. I heard you. So we'll see. Uh, He wins. He wins, although. He, he's never won a Super Bowl title, uh, but, yes, he wins. He wins uh, uh, 
college championships after 10 years of coaching. Yeah, but he wins. He wins. <laughs> so there, there are some caveat, caveats there. <laughs> All right, before we get out of here, I want to talk a little bit about the NFC and AFC conference championship games. I'm hoping that you had a chance to see them. Yeah. Uh, with First of all, with the Baltimore Ravens, do you think that the performance there by Lamar Jackson, the quarterback, helped or or doesn't matter uh, for the argument to replace Justin Fields? In other words, you know, Justin Fields and Lamar Jackson are considered very similar quarterbacks, but Lamar failed in his attempt to get his team into the Super Bowl. Do you think that perhaps uh, people are now looking at Justin Fields and saying, well, he's going to do like Lamar. He'll have a great regular season eventually, and but not going to get the team over the hump and, and, and get to the Super Bowl. What do you think? That narrative is going to be out there because this, every time you have a running quarterback, a, a quarterback that's great with the ball in his hands and, and they don't succeed in terms of passing the ball and big games. Oh, this guy can't win the quarterback. Remember, it was it was unfortunately it was it was all oh, the, the black quarterback can't win the big games, and then that was gone. And next thing was it's a running quarterback can't win the big games. And next thing it's all it's 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 all these narratives that are out there. But I I think Todd Munkin, who was up actually for assistant coach of the year, did a disservice to 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 Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens. They are and I've talked about it with Luke Getzey right throughout the year. Do what you do right. You are a running. Do what you do best. You're a running team, Luke Getzey. Stick to the run. Let them stop you from running the ball. Baltimore Ravens, Lamar had a great year. They have all these weapons, these shiny toys around Lamar Jackson. They threw the ball down a football field for the first time in a long time, right? But they're, at their core, they're still a running football team. They ran the ball five times in the entire game, Aldo, at home. The game was never out of hand. They weren't down like three scores. You know, the final score was 17-7. to seven. They were within two scores, right? And they ran the ball five times. Todd Munkin, in my opinion, set up Lamar Jackson to fail. And, you know, so that's one thing right there. The, the fumble by, by Zay Flowers in, in the end zone, that's a big-time game changer right there. And I think I think it's about time that everyone starts looking at Steve Spagnola, defensive coordinator of the Kansas City Chiefs, and give him some props. Because this is a man that, you know, yeah, you know, his defenses aren't always great, but, man, come playoff time, whether it's Brady and and, and that offense, he, he shot him down when he was with the Giants. And, and he's doing it now with, with, with this Chiefs, a young Chiefs secondary. You know, they don't have great guys up front, all the, you know, other than Chris Jones. The other guys are just kind of, you know, filling guys here and there. You know, but he's scheming and he's doing a nice job with a good coverage, cover corners, you know, good safety play, and one guy up front. And he's doing a great job of, of, of stopping offenses. So, you know, the four hours are going to have, you know, uh, a, a whale of a, of a time trying to beat that team. But, um, you know, going to that to that game, I mean, that, I just feel so bad. I'm let, sorry, let me let, no, no. Let me stay with the AFC because I got a question regarding that game, and it has to do uh, with the Kansas City Chiefs. And really, it's more of an observation. I was just so impressed with that. You mentioned the defensive coordinator; he did such an incredible job. But the Chiefs, too, you know, made the necessary changes and have and in, in throughout these playoffs. They've gone to the run uh, when it was necessary to go to the run. They've gone to the pass when it was necessary to go to pass. They just make the right adjustments, and that's not any huge news to most NFL followers. But th this particular game uh, for the NFC Conference Championship, I thought that the Kansas City – or excuse me, AFC uh, Conference Championship, I thought the Kansas City Chiefs coaching staff was fantastic. Well, it's Andy Reid. 
right? It's end rate, and 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 people say Jim, uh, oh, not Jim Nagy, Matt Nagy, because he's offense corner. He's offense corner in title and name only. It's it's Andy Reid, and and he's proven to be one of the, one of the best, you know, Hall of Fame caliber coach here. And, and the fact that he makes the changes, you're right. You know, you know, they, the before they've they've relied on you know the quarterback Mahomes and and, and Kelsey. Obviously, Kelsey had a had a down year, but he came up in, into this game. He had a huge game, 11 catches, a touchdown, I think over 100 yards. Um, you know, Rasheed Rice, a rookie. By the way, was last year at the Senior Bowl, and and now he he was a leading receiver at 900 some yards. You know, he he played a big role. But again, I, they have Pacheco, a fifth round, I think a fifth or sixth round pick, a running back. You you got it there. But but what do they have? Although that I've been preaching all along, they have one of the better offensive lines in football. If you have an offensive line and a defensive line as well, you team your team is always going to be competitive. And that offensive line is, is by far or one, if not the one of the top two or three offensive lines in football. And they are able to control that game be, by going to the running the rushing attack using Isaiah Pacheco. You know, they, Mahomes is pretty much a game manager in that game. You know, he was making sure he has to turn the ball over, get the first downs if he can, but you know, don't put the ball in harm's way and let your defense spec known what do what he's doing on the other end. And we're just going to run the ball and control the clock. And that's what they did. And that's, and that's not what we've, we're accustomed to seeing the, you know, the, the Mahomes uh, chiefs do, but you're right. They, they switched up and they're actually rebuilding on the fly guys. I don't know if you guys noticed that or not. I mean, yeah. their, their receivers are young as heck, right? Mm -hmm. uh, obviously Kelsey is, is up there in age, but the offensive line for pretty much their, their young guys up front. Obviously Mahomes is in the prime of his career. Defensively, that secondary is young and they're good. Okay, so these guys are just rebuilding on the fly here and going and going forward. And again, you know, I think Baltimore should have won that game if if they just run the ball, do what they've done throughout the regular season. You know, Tom Munkin got into his head maybe and thought, "I'm going to go here." I know he was he was interviewing for head coaching jobs and maybe that got distracted, whatever. But to run five times, to run the ball five times, and and the last run Gus Edwards had, I think it was like a 15 yard run. That was his mm -hmm. last run. It's like, mm -hmm. dude, do what you do and make them stop you. And and and, and that's the thing. The Chiefs' defensive line, for what you know, all the credit we just gave Spagnola, they struggle stopping the run. So if I'm, if I'm you know, Kyle Shanahan and the 49ers, that's where I'm gonna I'm gonna just give them a, a dose of Elijah Mitchell and Christian McCaffrey and all these guys and then hit them with the play action. You know, that's what I would do if I'm Kyle, Kyle Shanahan. So again, it's, it's just some of these coaches they outcoach themselves when it gets to the playoff time and and unfortunately it's Lamar Jackson is going to be thrown in the spotlight because he was the guy out there on the field performing but it's I think the coach himself Todd Munkin in this case did him a disservice totally agree with you totally agree all right let's talk about that uh, NFC uh, conference championship game I got to tell you the the what I walked away from most and, and there's a lot of a couple of things at least I want to talk about the Detroit Lions but what I walked away with most is we should stop with the Lamar Jackson Justin Fields comparisons and really start to look at the Brock Purdy <laughs> Justin Fields comparisons because the way they have built this team around Brock Purdy is what the Chicago Bears should do for Justin Fields and Justin Fields I think could do pretty much what Brock Purdy has been doing, hitting high percentage passes, making some quicker decisions, and then running with the ball. <laughs> Brock Purdy surprised the hell out of all of us. Running with the ball when you know the passing game isn't there or there's just opportunities to run and pick up first down. So what do you think about my theory there that maybe we should start following the 49ers game plan for Brock, for Brock Purdy and apply it to Justin Fields? Although I've been saying it all year, I'm talking about play calling. I'm talking about weapons on the outside, right? From Debo Samuel to George Kittle to Brandon Ayuk, 
All right. Uh, and then Dewan Jennings, who you and I have interviewed uh, Don in the Mobile a couple of years ago at the Senior Bowl. Uh, you know, these are all weapons that he has. Christian McCaffrey in the backfield. All right. Uh, even you uh, check the, uh, the the fullback is, is a heck of a, a player or the blocker or as, as a pass catcher. So he's got weapons galore around him. He's got a solid offensive line, all pro left tackle and, and Trent Williams. You know, uh, uh, the other parts are, are, are you know, are, are mix and match, but they're, they're, they're OK. But again, he's got the play caller in Kyle Shanahan who knows how to put him and and his playmakers in the best position to succeed. And this is what I've been preaching about all along with Justin Fields is he, we just talked about it. He was thrown out there to the wolves says, Hey, here's your, whether it's Matt Nagy in that first game against Cleveland, save my job, Justin Fields, or, or, you know, uh, uh, polls and Eberflus tearing it all down with a half-ass offensive line, you know, Byron Pringle and, and Dante Pettis as his number one receivers and, and Darnell Moody was hurt uh, half the year. You know, this is what he was given and he was told to, to go win with it. And, and he got a first time play caller in Luke Getze, who we discussed has no idea in terms of how to get, get a play, a game plan and flowing. But again, Flipped outside here to Brock Purdy, right? He's not as talented as Justin Fields in terms of athletically, in terms of, of uh, as a quarterback. He has accuracy and anticipation, which Justin needs to get better at. But in terms of you know overall, the, the quarterback body of work, I think Justin's a much more talented athlete for sure and, and probably a better, better overall player. But he's got, like I said, the, the, the line, he's got the play calling, he's got the, the weapons in the backfield and on the outside, and he's got a coach that knows how to put him in a position to succeed. And believe it or not, Brock Purdy was was in danger of, of getting benched in that game. If if they came out in that second half and didn't do jack crap, Brock Purdy would have been on the bench and they would have gone with Sam Donald. I mean, that, so Brock Purdy is not entrenched as a starter there in San Francisco. He's he's on on cheeky ground there, but you know it's it's not a secret in the NFL that Kyle Shanahan has has a love romance with Kirk Cousins. That that that's his quarterback. That's who he wants to run his offense. Now, can you Kirk Cousins is a free agent? Can you afford Kirk Cousins on their salary cap? I don't, I don't know, but you know, we'll we'll see what happens. But I mean, so Brock Purdy is is not in trend. Now, if he wins a Super Bowl, and uh, it's gonna be hard to kind of you know put a guy on a bench if he wins Super Bowl. But so we'll see what happens. But and going back to that game though, mm-hmm. I just felt bad for the Lions, man. The Lions fans, you know, the Lions fans because <clears throat> I, I I know Don Burr, I Don Don Burr with Danny, but to be up seventeen points at halftime, and and what what what. What bugs me, and and you, you may or may not agree, and you know the, the guys in the chat may or may not agree, and ladies in the chat may not agree, but I'm I'm done with analytics kicking, kicking coming into football. All right, they took they, they took over baseball. Fine, you can have baseball. Listen, I, there there are points in, in in the game or in the season where you might say, all right, you know the the, the numbers say go for two, or numbers say you know go for for a first down or kick a field goal, but when it comes to the playoff football, all right, you have momentum. They came back out there. They scored a field goal. Now they're trying to get back momentum. Okay, you go back, drive back down there. You kick a even if you kick a field goal, it's not a touchdown, but right. at least you know what? It's back up to a 17 point lead. Now they get a little deflated. Like, damn, we thought we were within two scores. Now back down. That's a momentum changer. And then what happens? And the fumble, and then all the stuff, and then the the, the ball off a of Kindle Vildor's mask, and then he catches it. It was just it was just downhill. I just knew once I at least I knew once Ayuk caught that ball and they scored. I said this game over. They're not the the momentum was on the 49ers side. Defense was all fired up. The fans were fired up. You could see Detroit golf had the little bit uh, that you know uh, deer and headlights look there. And then just and then to again bypass a field goal and, and not tie the game. You're late in the fourth quarter. You don't do that kind of stuff. And I I just I keep analytics in its in its spot, but do not run over 
analytics. Do not let take over football like it took over baseball. I, I don't want that. Yeah, I agree with you. You know, football is so much more of a gut game. You got to go with emotion. Yeah, emotion, exactly. And baseball is is much more kind of a computer nerdy game, you know. Thinking Um, game, breaking. Exactly. The the other thing that really caught my attention that I hope that the Bears learn in this upcoming draft, which is why I asked uh, Noah, our first guest, Noah Chang, are there any speedy running backs? Because the way Jameer Gibbs has helped to transform this offense into such a high-powered offense. You know, I I, I had in, in the 2050 mocks, whatever I did last year, I had Jameer Gibbs going to the Bears with the second-round pick because I loved him so much in college football. And that just the speed, if they have a speed back who could also catch, you know, I've always loved the Marshall Falk type of running back. And – to me, despite the fact that the Lions lost, but just looking at Gibbs's rookie year in its entirety, I'd love for the Chicago Bears to find a Jameer Gibbs in this upcoming draft. What do you think about that? Yeah, but I mean, those those guys are pretty pretty hard to find. I remember we were talking about it last year. It was it was, was a was a Jameer Gibbs because I mean the, the big talk was oh get Saquon Barkley as a free agent. I'm like no 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 no, don't don't pay money to to guys already had a torn, torn ACL and all this stuff. Go get Jameer Gibbs. Jameer yeah. Gibbs can play, guys, and he's he's an electric running back. He's a guy that can catch a ball out of the backfield. Remember, he was going to be used primarily as a receiver out of the backfield because mm-hmm. Montgomery was going to be the the guy in between the tackles. And Montgomery had a had a great year. I think he had a 15 touchdowns this year. David Montgomery, the ex bear, obviously. And I think again goes to the offensive line. They also have what great offensive line and and what they do with that what their play caller is. And ben, that's why I'm I'm a fan of Ben Johnson. He sits. Everything up off of their their play action, off of their run game. So a lot of their sets look like the same sets that they run out of, but they pass out of them. So the play action is already more effective because it gets your linebackers thinking coming downhill to stop a run, but the play action they, they rolls out, and next thing you know, the guy's behind them. So I think even that one or two milliseconds where the linebacker's stepping in, it helps get the guys behind them wide open. So again, offensive line. To create a play caller, you know, a quarterback that, that can get the ball out in time, you know, and then now we put in two talented guys in the backfield. I think that that all kind of works hand in hand there. You know, you know, offense in terms of outside weapons, other than Amama St. Brown, you know, Josh Reynolds had a good season, but he's just a guy really. Uh, you know, Jameson Williams coming off that ACL from last year, you know, he's kind of coming to his own, but again, he's a young developing receiver. It outside they really don't have much. Obviously, the the, the rookie Laporta, the tight end, really was a was a big you know big threat there for him as well. So you know they're lacking some weapons on the outside. You get another weapon to kind of offset or help Amon and St. Brown and keep that same core intact. They're going to be even better next year. J2K makes a great point. Lions had a great roster, a good roster going into last year's draft. They overdrafted Fitz, not best player available, and it paid off. Yeah, they they felt like, you know, with that six, what, seven-game losing streak to end the 2022 season, uh, they felt like they were really, really close. And I saw that video of them in the draft uh, room, and when Gibbs fell to them, uh, they actually thought that Gibbs was somehow going to be drafted before they picked, which would have been a shocker to me. I, I think a lot of people were shocked that he went in the middle of the first round. Uh, but when Gibbs uh, was available and they made that pick, I mean, they threw a, a celebration like it was 1999, uh, the eve, uh, New Year's Eve. So 
they knew what they were doing. And Brad Holmes, if he has another good draft, it's going to be really, really difficult for the Bears to wrestle the NFC North title away from them. But they do also have, I think, three of their offensive line starters are in contract years and free agents. So they're going to have to do some tricky business with uh, the salary cap. Uh, it's going to be a big offseason for all three, all four NFC North teams. Danny, we've uh, passed the two-hour mark. I told you we'd be going two hours, and you uh, you knew it too. So any last thoughts, and let's get out of here. No, I mean, I just, you know, looking forward, obviously, to continue to dig into the tape. You know, I talked about some of those players that caught my eye, uh, both at, at the East-West Shrine game and at the, at the Senior Bowl. I'm going to go and do some more digging in the actual game film from, from their schools and, and hopefully have a, a more comprehensive report on, on some of those players. And, uh, you know, next week we'll look forward to reviewing the East-West Shrine game and also the uh, the, the Senior Bowl and, and kind of continuing seeing who, who took the next leap, who continued to, you know, progress and and, and move on and, and forward in terms of the player evaluation and get ready for this for this upcoming draft. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I just want to make clear to people in the chat, in the chat, I'm not advocating that the Bears draft the running back in day one or day two. There are speedy backs that will be available day three, and I'd like the Bears to take a chance on one. They look at where uh, Ryan Pace found uh, Tariq Cohen. Wasn't he a fifth-round draft pick, Danny? I think fifth. He right? was a fifth-round draft pick, yes. Yeah. So, uh, you know, there's lots of opportunities to find some gems in day three, and we'll be talking a lot more about that in, in shows to come. Next week, as uh, Danny and I said earlier, it's going to be the senior bowl. We're going to take a deep dive into the performances of, of those teams. And if there's any standout players from the Shrine Bowl game that we think might be good fits for the Chicago Bears, we'll tackle those players as well. And our guest evaluator is going to be none other than Jordan Silvera. He's going to gush over J.J. McCarthy, but we've already taped that segment, and I can tell you that he had a very fair-minded uh, scouting report on J.J. McCarthy and even pointed out a number of his negatives, so he might disappoint you, Danny, because you, you and him might agree. <laughs> We'll see. We'll see. J2K wondered if it's still gonna if you guys are still gonna have that cage wrestling match uh, over JJ McCarthy. Uh maybe that will maybe we will hold that closer to the draft. <laughs> All right, everyone. Uh thanks very much for watching. Uh a lot of more, a lot more Bears coverage coming up this week. We got the Willis Twin Towers on Friday. Uh their show is really taking off. Got a lot of great numbers and so thank you for your support this show and every show that we do live will come out on audio version podcast so uh let uh, your friends know that you can listen to danny in your car or you can watch his lovely face on youtube danny say goodbye goodbye <laughs> goodbye everybody <laughs>